Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside, alongside Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK Pro. Can you hear me? I got you. You hear me okay? Why can I not hear me? Oh, you got broken headphones again. Oh, great. Again. What else is new? Yep, the headphones are officially broken. There we go. Now we've got it. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN as it's hockey season, boys. And Doug Armstrong, once you get the, the preseason roundup Zoom meeting, T-Bone, that's when you know it's officially go. And, of course, hockey started last night around the NHL, but it starts tomorrow night for the Blues. And we've talked a lot about what the expectations are for the Blues this season. You know, can they make the postseason? Are they fighting for a wild card spot? What can go right for this Blues team? What has to go right for this Blues team? Well, Doug Armstrong spoke earlier today and gave us a clearer picture of what his goal is for this upcoming season. Okay, we'll get that later. His goal essentially is third place in the Central Division. And to my surprise, I I thought it was going to be a wild card spot. That's what Doug Armstrong was going after. But what this was, he says, is look, the top two teams are going to be Colorado and Dallas in the Central Division. And after that, he said, I'd like us to fight for third place because he believes the wild card is going to be a lot tougher of a position to get in than that third place spot. Now, why would that be, Alex? Because third place is higher up than the wild card. Well, because you're going to have a lot of teams fighting in that Pacific division for those wild card spots. Frankly, the battles that take place for three, typically the teams that lose out on that get into the wild card. But if you don't get third in the central, well, now you're fighting five other teams for that Pacific division spot. So in Doug Armstrong's mind, He's talked about being on the 50-yard line and trying to go into the offensive zone to score a touchdown. This is him stating, this is how we move north. Third place in the Central is what this team is viewing for. The question is, how are you going to get there this year? Yeah, I, I got to say, I was taken aback when he said finish top three in the Central Division. Well, that's because, because you hate the Blues. Well, no, but because I I thought we were all in agreement, I, including Army, <laughs> that if this team was going to make the playoffs, it was going to be, you know, kind of sneaking as a wild card. And then when he came out and said, you know, our goal is top three in a year in which they are retooling, by the way, too, I, I was a little surprised by that. So uh, for them to get there, they're going to have to, the defensive adjustments that we've heard um you we've talked about all year long that's what it's going to come down to the defense is going to have to step up and then that top line is going to have to be great be take be able to take that next step forward with the booch thomas Cairo, that line so i 
I was stunned when he made those comments. But hey, look, if, if that is what the goal is this year, then hey, credit to Doug Armstrong because they feel like they've built that team. All the projections say you're not going to be that. They say the Blues are more likely to be a lottery team. And now they're saying, okay, top three is the goal. And if things go right, then you're then you're built on this retool of being probably just a two-year process. Yeah, you found yourself out of this retool. So I believe Adobe Audition is finally act, or not acting up for us. So Bradford hit it. So I'd love to get third place. I think that uh, if you if you or I'll say the way I look at it, you you I, I see Dallas and I see Colorado as a different maturation part in their organizations. Uh, they they seem to be a half a letter to a full letter grade ahead. Uh, but then I, I look at, at Minnesota. I look at what Winnipeg's going through, what Nashville's going through, what we're going through. Uh, so I don't see us being in that group of, of players starting out, you know, hoping to get the first overall pick. That That's not what we're looking at. Now, how far they can take it. Uh, I, I think we should be competitive with, with the groups, with that uh with that, you know, if you break the league into thirds, I hope to be in, the, in competitive with that middle third, and I hope to be at the top end of that middle third. So, so here's the middle third, and, and I, I think it's, I think it's important to understand. Doug Armstrong is setting his expectations. Now, this is a difference than what Craig Berube's expectations might be because he's around the team a lot more. It might be different than what the expectations of the players are. But Doug Armstrong views the second year of this retool that he has talked about as third place in the central and he said the upper third and then the middle third he wants to be the best in the middle third here's what that upper third at least in my opinion would be t-bone colorado dallas vegas edmonton that's the upper third of the western conference that doug's talking about the middle third would be minnesota la seattle winnipeg calgary nashville and then put st louis into that and for him to say third place look it's a lofty expectation if you look at what last year was, because third place last year was 103 points. I mean, we're talking like nearly 20 points. That's more than 10 games that this Blues team would need to accomplish to be in that spot next year. But for Doug to use the word easier to get into the third place spot than the wild card spot, I wonder if he believes that the Pacific is stronger than the Central this season, with Minnesota having the cap restraints, with Nashville taking a step back, with Winnipeg being unsure of where they're at, and then you've got the bottom tier of unknown with Arizona and Chicago. The really the, the, the question is really going to come down to how do the Blues look on the ice? Because it, it does seem, at least from Doug Armstrong's perspective, the way that he's viewing this year in terms of the retool isn't point production, more so than attitude. Take a listen from Doug Armstrong talking about the uh, the first year of this retool and what he's looking at. Yeah, I would say it's uh, obviously we, we are judged by wins and losses. I, I think it's going to be, uh, when, when I look at it maybe from 30,000 feet, it's going to be more of an attitudinal, attitudinal look. How, how, how do we play in games? Do we have, um, you know, like there, there, there's, there's proper ways to win. There's proper ways to lose. There's proper ways to, to play the game. And Successful teams play the full 60 minutes. They they protect their goaltenders. They're, they're ten, they, they protect the goaltenders. Uh, you know when it's a 4-2 game, they don't let it get to six to two. Uh, they they just respect the game. They respect the competition. Respect each other. I, I think that uh, teams that that don't do that have wild fluctuations in their seasons. Looking more more from a 30,000 foot on foundational things as 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 obviously we are at wins and losses so he's looking to find out if this group that they have put together to take them into the new era of the blues has any quit in them because last year he's essentially saying they quit on their goaltender in front they quit on the team when things got bad 
and he wants to find out if they've got quit. This is more about do we have the right core in place for a retool or do we have to change things up massively rather than being worried if you're a third place team or a sixth place team in the Western Conference? Yeah, I I think you're spot on there. I I think that comment was, look, we cannot be giving up like we did last year. And I I think that was the case. And I, I remember when we had conversations about, and I know we'll talk about this later on today too, but when we had conversations about, you know, is Craig Bruby's job in jeopardy last year? That was because it felt like the players quit, and Army's basically saying that. And he's saying, look, if we're going to be a team that's going to exit a retool and then avoid going into a long rebuild process and get stuck like the San Jose Sharks did, these guys can't be given up on us, and we've got to see kind of that fight in them. we got to see Thomas and Cairo show five, play two-way style of hockey. So I, I found that quote interesting in both that quote and the quote of, you know, our, our goal is to hopefully finish top three in the Central this year. I'm going to be fascinated to know what happens when we get midway through the year and this team is, you know, whether they're on the fringe of the playoffs or they're in the playoff picture, what they're going to do. I know that's a ways out, but it feels like they're trying to balance two things at once. That feels pretty difficult. Evaluate what they have while also trying to be competitive and be a top three team in the Central. And it feels like they're kind of trying to do both those things at once, and that is a very tough thing to do. This is a hard part of the retool, and this is why when you hear the word retool, you're like, yeah, it's a rebuild. But the retool can actually be a retool if you put the right pieces in place. He's essentially doing what he did from the from the David Backus era to the Alex Petrangelo era. Like he transitioned into a new group of players. Now that group from Backus was very competitive and he knew that the competitiveness was there in terms of being a legit playoff contender. And now Doug's back to reality a little bit in terms of this might not be a legit playoff contender. This is a can we compete for a playoff spot and then we can take that step forward. But this is what you just mentioned, T-Bone, in terms of evaluating two different things at once. If this team's not competing for a playoff spot, well, then now you backed the wrong horse in terms of the core, the attitude you're searching for. And now we have to readjust that. And you know what's very difficult to do? Readjusting the core of a group of players that you're trying to establish. That's where you enter the rebuild. So, look, I, I know people want to see playoffs again, and, and third place is a lofty expectation, but it sure doesn't seem like it's a get into third place and this is a success or get into the playoffs, this is a success. It sure seems like number one criteria for Doug Armstrong is finding out if he's got the right players on the roster to take this team into the next era. And then if that's in place, if you see that this season, the attitude being right, because he, he referenced there's there's right ways to lose and there's right ways to, to win. And he said, if you're losing the right way, then you're in a good spot. That's the evaluation of this team this season. Yeah, 100%. And that is the number one thing that they're going to be looking at. And, and I, as much as I think their goal is to be top three this year, it, this is not a year in which they are probably judging wins and losses. It, yeah. is, it is totally a year in which it is just evaluation of, okay, what do we have in a player on the ice, and do we have the attitude of a winning team? That That is the biggest thing because as much as we talked last year about a winning culture, do they have the right culture? That is something that Doug Armstrong's trying to find out, and he's trying to find it out fast and find it out on the fly before they end up getting stuck in a potential long retool slash rebuild however you want to frame it yeah because i'll say this i mean i know i joked and and kind of ished a lot on the nashville predators but they looked like a team that lost the right way yesterday against tampa rather than losing and it turns into a 7-2 final score so uh very intriguing comments from doug and of course we'll hear more from him talking about colton pareko and of course talking about certain other aspects of this team before they kick things off tomorrow night against dallas which we will have puck drop at seven o'clock and i've got your first community 
pregame starting at 6 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. We'll discuss further Doug Armstrong's comments with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. He's going to join us next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, who is stepping in for BK today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. I'm Alex Ferrario as we get set for Blues and Stars to open up the season. And to do so, we welcome in our weekly hit with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, who is now on our 101 ESPN guest line. Kerbs shipping up or shipping down to Dallas, I should say. How is it, sir? Uh, We will be down there this evening. Looking forward to it. The team left on Monday for some team building um i didn't need the extra two or three days out of town so we'll get in tonight and uh looking forward to it uh, it was great to see the nhl regular season action return last night and tonight and looking forward to just how this blues team starts to take shape maybe uh, maybe you me and joe go on a team bonding trip next year curbs we just build up our team chemistry for the broadcast year uh, I did that this year. I went to Europe. I don't know where you were. Oh, yeah. Thanks. I must have lost that invite in the mail. We'll get that <laughs> next year, Curbs. Hey, I'm glad you brought up the games last night, though, because I, you know, I was very interested to watch the Nashville Predators play because all of the experts, quote-unquote experts, Curbs, they're all sitting here acting like Nashville is going to be a top three, top four team in the Central Division. They looked good, but are you surprised at how many people view Nashville as being a, a superior team to the Blues this season? No, I, I think if uh, – not no, because I know how they break things down and, and how they look at it. I think when you look at the addition of Luke Shen and Ryan O'Reilly and the grit and how they decided to put it together with Barry Trotz back at the helm, at least in terms of a general manager aspect and his philosophies on things, uh, the coaching change and, and what they did, I, I think I think there's a, light, a lot to be excited about. You know, if if you're a Nashville, you know, Predators fan, I mean, that team is, they had that one run to the Stanley Cup final and just haven't been able to, to match it or some of that sustained success since. So um, I'm not at all surprised by it. And, and more importantly, back to the Blues end of it, Alex, it's because I think the Blues have a lot of question marks based on last season and then what they've got coming into this season. And frankly, Maybe the prognostications on where the Blues, uh, these people think the Blues will finish. At this point in time, based on last year and stuff, they might be fair. It's just you actually got to go play the games and to see how it works out. Curbs, speaking of the NHL from last night, what did you make of Connor Bedard's debut with the Chicago Blackhawks? I think I was ready to throw my a rock at my TV. <laughs> like the Blackhawks, the Blackhawks score a goal, Connor Bedard's not even on the ice, and they <laughs> – shoot the Connor Bedard on the bench. Like, what are we looking for? An 18-year-old's reaction to a goal being scored while he's watching? Like, uh, you know, listen, I-, I think it's great for the league to have this kind of talent coming in, right? Do I love seeing it with the Blackhawks? No, but okay, i got to live with that. But the reality of it is, is it- it's this is the way it's going to be. You know, C- Connor McDavid's, you know, in his ninth season, and this is, you know, a guy that they think could rival him in a, in a lot of ways. And I, I think it's great that we get to see him both in the Western Conference. And, you know, because the East has had Crosby and Ovechkin for so long, right? So I think there's a lot of justifiable excitement for him. And um, But 
he's 18, and it's going to take. There's going to be some growth for him as it comes in because of, of what they're going to surround him with. I like the fact that the Blackhawks put him with Taylor Hall, and they've got Corey Perry. They've got veteran guys around him. They, uh, it's a great move by Chicago, and we're going to get to see plenty of this young man who picked. I think he was what the third. What is this? He, he was the fifth youngest player in NHL history to score a point in his NHL debut and the first to do it in about 10 years. So that's uh, that, that's a cool little nugget on him. Yeah, I'm with you. The, the hype around it was great for the NHL, but I was so surprised at how many camera shots were on Connor Bedard in the second and third period when other guys were scoring. But we're talking with Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues, here on BK and Ferrario. So, Kerbs, I'm not sure if you heard uh, Doug Armstrong's presser a little bit ago, but uh, the one comment that stuck out to both T-Bone and I was him talking about what he's going to be evaluating this season, and it sure sounded like, from Doug's perspective, points and wins, of course, are going to be the main evaluation but he talked about the attitude and hearing him discuss that it felt like he was discussing trying to find out if the right core is in place for this team to enter this new era so he's talking about character in my book when i kind of break that down and uh his i talked to craig baruby about just the mental grind of the season and Craig Berube talked about toughness, and he said it's not just can you take a hit, can you deliver a hit. It's do you have the mental toughness, and not just from game to game, but from shift to shift uh, with the highs and lows of the season. Last year, the psyche of this team, I think, was very fragile for a multitude of different reasons we've, we've hashed out you know, ad nauseum. Uh, to me, what Doug's talking about is how do you react when it, it doesn't go your way? You know, do you slump your head? Are you barking at a coach? How, how, how are you handling things? Because as you're turning this over to younger players, I, I think those attitudes and stuff really make a big difference. Now, to me, it also goes a little bit beyond that. It's your attitude away from the rink. Attitude means work ethic. Attitude means everything involved. Are you all in? Are you doing your part? Because Doug knows that as part of this process that he began last year, and I love Tom Stillman's quotes in the paper yesterday, by the way, in Matt DeFrank's articles, like, yeah, they have hopes and the goal is to be back in the playoffs, and they feel that they can. But Doug Armstrong also very realistically knows where he is in this retooling and this readjustment, and he knows what's going to be important over the next few years, and attitude is a big part of it. Curbs, final one from you, and we appreciate the time as always. Looking forward to the broadcast tomorrow night. Uh, he did also talk about Colton Pareko in his press conference earlier today, and we're going to discuss this in the 12 o'clock hour, but you and I are, are high on Colton Pareko, especially for what he can provide this team this season, but Army comped him to a successful season being Jay Bowmeister. What does that mean in your eyes? Listen, I, I put this out on social media months ago. If you go on if you go on to hockeyreference.com, go compare Jay Bowmeister's first nine se- first eight seasons in the league, because Pareko's entering his ninth, to Jay Bowmeister's. Couple of quick caveats. One, yes, Jay Bowmeister was younger. Colton Pareko went the college route. But Jay Bowmeister was a third overall pick and Colton Pareko was a third round pick. Go look at the numbers, guys. I mean it's it's crazy how identical it is, with the big difference being Jay Bolmeister didn't play in one playoff game his first eight seasons in the league. Bolmeister didn't play in a playoff game until he came to the St. Louis Blues. Right? Doesn't have 70 playoff games to his resume by the time he's getting into his ninth season. I say that 
because the comparisons are there. It, maybe it's time to adjust expectations of Colton Pareko. If you're looking for a 50-point defenseman, you're not going to get it unless he gets power play time. And he's not going to get that power play time with Tory Krug and probably Justin Falk here. He's going to get what he's getting, what, 15 seconds average on time a game maybe if it comes out. Colton Pareko is going to be part of a lockdown group that's going to eat 23, 24 minutes a game. He's going to be the first guy over the board. He's going to play more five-on-five minutes than just about anybody in the league. He's going to get more defensive zone face-offs again this year like he did last year, which was more, more than just about anybody in the league. And if you look at that with the new structure of the St. Louis Blues, I think your expectations are realistic and good. I, I think Colton, from a health standpoint, from an attitude standpoint, from a team standpoint, is poised to have a terrific year. And if Kupareko ends up with around 26 to 33 averaging 23 to 20 to 24 minutes a game, logging just as many penalty kill minutes as anybody on the team, and he's playing most of those minutes against the best players in the National Hockey League, you're in some really good shape with Colton Pareko. He's the voice of the Blues. You get that kind of analysis here on 101 ESPN, of course, on the Blues broadcast and a new podcast, Curbs. Yeah, how about this one? We, we kicked it off in the first episode. is up there. Fans can check out my Twitter feed for the link to it uh, right now. But it's uh, we're, we're kicking off a new podcast this year called Curbside, which on a weekly basis will be like an hour-long show format featuring guests and breakdowns and topics from around not just hockey but maybe even the sports world. But it'll be hockey-centric. But most importantly, Alex, part of that is going to be uh, episodes called Curbside Reaction. And so after every single game, when you get up the next morning, we're going to upload uh, – you know, maybe like a 12, 15-minute podcast with just reaction and some analysis from the previous night's game. So if you watch the game and you want to hear more, you download, you, you subscribe to it. If you miss the game and you want to know exactly what happened, we'll get you some details on that as well. But the first episode is up and running. It's got some reaction from training camp from Steve Ott. It's got some great analysis of camp from Joe Vitale. And uh, I give you my top ten keys to a successful season for the St. Louis Blues. And that's up and running right now. Looking forward to it. You can follow Curbs on Twitter, at Chris Kerber. Always appreciate the time, sir. We'll talk to you tomorrow night for Blues and Stars. Got it, Alex. Thanks, Tanner. Talk to you guys a little later. There you go. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, with us here on BK and Ferrario. And, again, we're going to get into Pareko in the 12 o'clock hour. But I, I, I... I do find that fascinating what Doug Armstrong said with him when it comes to Jay Bomeister comp. And I really think what Doug just did was shift the expectations for Colton Pareko to a new persona. I agree with that. And like you said, we'll get into that later on. But I, I totally agree with that because remember, he said the comment, I don't remember how long it was now. I think it was right after Petro left that Pareko was ready to be that. That yeah, was alpha on with dog. us where he told us that. Yeah. And, and that was essentially like, hey, he's a number one defenseman. That's what they said. And. I don't want to say they're admitting that they are wrong, but they are realizing that they need to shift what the focus is for him. And if he is in that Bowmeister role, then they are in search of a true number one defenseman. They are in search of, maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be a number one defenseman, but they are in search of finding the partner that can help Colton Preco out. Because Bowmeister, like Bowmeister, he was undervalued at his time here, but you wouldn't talk about Jay Bowmeister without talking about his partner. And that's the thing that they're searching for for Colton Pareko. And that's why I've said this before, and I stand by this. 
For the Blues to exit the retool, there are two things that need to happen. One, that Kairou and Thomas take the next step and play two, do a better job playing two-way hockey while also maintaining their offensive skill set and, if not, taking that to the next level as well. And they find the partner for Colton Pareko. I don't think they can exit the retool without the partner for Col- the right partner for Colton Pareko. The, pro- the partner that I want for Colton Pareko, I just saw a contract projection for him who's a free agent after this year. I'll, I'll tell you about that once we get to questions and answers, but whoo! That's what it's going to cost to get that guy. And I don't know if Doug Armstrong's going to be okay with that. He's Tanner Hendrickson. We've got Bradford Bruns in studio with us. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got questions and answers. Send us your questions on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. We are also live up on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Our studio cams are presented by Air Alliance Team. Coming up next, we've got NFL Quick Hitters here on 101 ESPN. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, some NFL quick hitters here on BK and Ferrario alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll get to your questions and answers coming up in our next segment, 314-399-9646. But let's start with uh, the news coming out of Colts camp where we find out that Anthony Richardson uh, is now headed to the IR, which is at minimum four games, but the reports are they could keep him out as many as eight games to make sure it's a full recovery. It really comes down to what goes into this shoulder injury um this is the next four games for the colts you're at jacksonville that is jacksonville right it's not like london jacksonville yeah because i just assume london is jacksonville these days you're home against cleveland home against the saints and you're on the road against the panthers so two of those four you can at least keep your head above water but man if you're the colts this is probably the worst news possible for how you were trending at the beginning of the season with richardson yeah i i I mean, at least they've got a decent backup in Gardner Minshew, which is a good thing for them. But, man, for a team that, one, it's concerning with Richardson dealing with all the injuries. We were talking about that uh, before the show today, just how concerning that is. But the fact of the matter that this team with Richardson, I I don't know if they are a playoff team, but they at least look like a team that could compete for a final wildcard spot. The defense is better than we were expecting. Richardson was playing better than expected. He was throwing the ball well, and he was running the ball super effectively. And they sit 3-2. and Like, this game at Jacksonville, if they had Anthony Richardson, they win and they are in the driver's seat for the time being in the AFC South. So now that he is out, it... Can they win some of these these first four games that he's definitely going to miss? Sure. Like, I think they could beat Cleveland. They could beat New Orleans, and they should beat the hell out of Carolina. But, <laughs> um, so they could go 3-1 and one in this stretch. 
I just have a tough time seeing them being able to take down Jacksonville in such a key divisional game without him. Especially when you consider now from a Jacksonville standpoint, you begin to think more of those offensive pieces in place. Trevor Lawrence finally goes over 300 yards. He has his array of aerial options. But if you're the Colts and you are head coach Shane Steichen, who has that previous relationship with Gardner Minshew, you know what you're going to get out of him. He can be more of a game manager or more than a game manager. But at the same time, guys, these individuals have really been making waves over the last couple of games primarily thanks to the running attack and now that you are integrating Jonathan Taylor back into that mix Zach Moss has been nails over the last couple of games you can at the very least hope to tread water particularly given that division I'd say yeah I I mean like when it comes down to it you're you're fighting with a lot of better teams in the AFC so if you can't take down Jacksonville then obviously you're not going to be a playoff team but this is huge strides for the Colts and the other thing that happens in this also is his injury pretty much solidifies CJ Stroud winning the rookie of the year uh, because I, it, that that's what it felt like the competition was going to be between those two guys. But, yeah, some tough blows there, obviously, for the Indianapolis Colts. Tough blows for them, even tougher for the Denver Broncos. Why? What do they got going well, on? Well, it's not all that uh, sunshine and lollipops, as we like to say here on 101 ESPN. So, Peace Up on the Athletic talked about the Broncos being potential sellers at the trade deadline. Here's Sean Payton talking George um, the uh, general manager for the Denver Broncos, and I talk every day, three, four times a day. We're not looking to do business with any of our players, end quote. So we're maybe, not selling. Maybe that means like, hey, we're we're, we're in the business of uh, winning. Playing hard to get, yeah. I see. <laughs> yeah, everybody um, wants to be in Denver these I, days. The, I don't understand why they... W- now, look, I understand why Sean Payton's saying this. They should be selling off pieces at the deadline. Absolutely. Like they, they should see what they could get for Judy. They should see what they could get for Sutton. I know those guys have always been in kind of the trade conversations over the last year and a, probably year and a half, I'd say, now at this point. They need to be looking to make those trades because they need to gain some draft capital because that roster is terrible. Mm-hmm. And they've given up draft picks, I think, the last two years, if I'm not mistaken. They gave up a first for Sean Payton, and they gave up a first or maybe multiple first for Russell Wilson. They need draft capital. They need to be massive sellers at the deadline. And the Russell Wilson narrative is the easy one, right? But who could have possibly envisioned this vast of a downfall for the defense? This unit is among the worst in NFL history through the first five weeks of the season. And as much as people want to malign what Russell Wilson is now versus what he was during his heyday in Seattle, that defense, to me, honestly, guys, is suspect number one as far as the biggest reasons as why this team is not even competitive, remotely competitive in the AFC West. Yeah, I mean, like, you you knew this was going to happen when you moved on from Chubb last year. Like, you knew that you were going to go into this. You, for some reason, thought Sean Payton was going to change things, but your offense ain't good enough. Russell Wilson ain't good enough, and your defense isn't good enough. And again, I mentioned this, what was it, on Monday with you and BK. My brother-in-law is a huge Broncos fan. Even he's sitting there watching it saying, they just got to start from scratch. Yeah. You just got to start over. And if you want Sean Payton a part of it, fine. But to sit there and act like you're still competitive this season, I know you have to for your fan base, but like, let's be real. You're the Denver Broncos. The one game that you won, you probably shouldn't have even won that game. You just played against an inferior opponent. Other than that, you're in the same situation that the Minnesota Vikings are in. Like, you're a bad team. It's not getting any better this year. So you should probably get some assets for it. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated to know what they do. And we're, I know we're talking the trade deadline with some of their pieces. I'm fascinated to know what they do with Russ the, after this season. Because yeah. really, when you look at like Spot Rack and look at the contract that Russell Wilson has, the ideal time to cut him is not after this year because what? he has a dead cap next year of $85 million. Now you can kind of make that easier if you cut him in, you know, 
pre six the six one area, um, but I th- they have a tough task ahead of them because Russell Wilson's clearly not the guy for them moving forward. He's not throwing the ball to his wide receivers. He I think I saw in their game last week that like 17 of all the passing yards he threw were to not a running back or a tight end. And do you have to make that cut if for no other reason than to transform that culture from a culture perspective? That, more than anything, as opposed to on-field performance, may be the determining factor. The dude's not, uh, I mean, I hate to say this because I loved him in Seattle, but he's not a winning player anymore. And I I think for NFL teams, it's like NHL teams with their goaltender. Like, you got to have a winning guy if you're going to want to do anything. And if your quarterback's not that, well, then how do you expect all of the weapons that you have to actually be that, that uh, successful? Speaking of that, Dak Prescott. Are, are we? Should we be done with Dak? Because the Cowboys apparently are considering extending Dak Prescott. His contract's up after this year. Cap hit next year is going to be $59.4 million. This was an NFL executive, Randy Miller, on The Athletic. Here's what I see, or where I see Prescott currently. And this has become evident in any big game the Cowboy play versus good defense. He is athletically limited, struggling and extended plays like he did earlier in his career. He's average arm strength, but more than anything, he wants to get the ball out quickly. He's not patient and is not seeing the field beyond 10 yards, and therefore he is not willing to pull the trigger on medium-range throws with confidence and anticipation like he once did. Prescott's trajectory on long balls is still good, but his accuracy is inconsistent at all levels. At this point, I see Prescott as no more than an average NFL starter. I would not feel comfortable paying him anywhere near his current salary. If the Dallas Cowboys give him a contract extension, you're putting yourself in a bad position for the next whatever length of that contract is. I, yeah, I I don't necessarily 100% agree with that because I think for all of Dak's flaws, he's right there in, in that kind of middle of the pecking order across the NFL and quarterbacks. And let's be honest, there's a worse place to be. Just ask the Atlanta Falcons. Just ask the Washington Commanders. Well, I could with get their an average quarterback and Jared Goff and have success. Yeah, but you're not going to find that guy. Like that's the thing. Is like how how easy is it to find that guy? It's not. Like how many times do we see teams flop with quarterbacks? Look at the New England Patriots. They thought it. But you know, I mean, they probably thought drafting Mac Jones in the first round he'd be a star. Well, then when that was clear it wasn't going to be, they at least were like, okay, maybe he can be a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. And now they look at him and go, my God, this guy's just terrible. He's not even an NFL-caliber quarterback. So I think you almost have to extend Dak Prescott because I just don't know where else you go. And if you don't re-sign him, I know they've got Trey Lance, and apparently reading this article uh, on The Athletic today, apparently that was just a Jerry Jones decision, didn't even talk with Mike McCarthy. Why not? Trey Trey Lance, if he didn't work out in San Francisco, the – the home of the the best offense in the league and the place where any quarterback could go to have success, he's not going to work out in Dallas. So I, I think you almost have to extend him. I know he's probably not worth the contract he's going to get, but I think there's a lot worse than you can do than Dak Prescott. Whether you're talking about Rush or Lance, that guy, that heir apparent, doesn't appear to be on the roster. Now, picks notwithstanding, this was supposed to be the reclamation season, the comeback, bounce-back season for Dak Prescott. You went out in the offseason, you invested in a secondary threat down the field to pair along with CeCe Lamb and Brandon Cooks. What has he done? Nothing. What has Dak Prescott really done to push that ball down the field through the first quarter-plus of the season? Precisely nothing, and that's 
why when individuals proponents of Prescott's play will point to the lack of interceptions this season and say, oh, look, all those numbers, at least prior to the San Francisco game, way down, it's because he's not pushing the ball down the field. There are various holes now all of a sudden in that Dallas offense, and Tony Pollard can't go at it alone. So projecting forward into the future, Dallas, in my mind, it's amazing how just a few games into the season and just one loss primarily can really alter your perception of what this organization is and what it could be a year from now. I I think everything you need to know is what T-Bone said in terms of Jerry Jones didn't discuss roster decisions with the head coach. Dak Prescott's going to be back if Jerry Jones wants him back, and there's no changing. You'll change the coach over the quarterback, and the good news is they take on the Chargers, so at least you have a team to go up against that you can actually score some points against. By by the way, to, to Bradford's point of after one game freaking out, I, I have not been as impressed with that. I thought Dak oh, no, would take I've, another step I've another been freaking level. out for two games. Like I, that's the the game before San Francisco was not pretty. With that said, I still think he is in that what would you say top ten or like right outside the top ten in quarterbacks. I'd in the put NFL. him outside the top ten I, I this think, season. I I'd agree with that. I, I think is it has he been as desirable as we thought he would be going into the year? No, not at all. But I just think when you look at the hey, they're gonna have conversations about a contract should they reconsider i i don't think there is a hey if we let Dak walk the grass is going to be greener on the other side i think you could open that door and the grass is completely dead and you're stuck with trey lance and then you're going to be a bad team with a competitive roster around them yeah tanner hendrickson bradford bruns i'm alex ferrario coming up next send us your questions 314-399-9646 that is our air comfort service text line we'll answer them next here on 101 espm We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646. That is our air comfort service text line. It is time for questions and answers here on BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. Bradford sitting in for BK, uh, filling in for us. He's pulling double duty today. He's going to be in action later on tonight for Diamondbacks and Dodgers. You just said bleep it. Let's go all night. Get excited for that one, boys. Bradford, just cut in in the middle of one of those games, Bradford, and just give updates all day long. Uh, from the 314, let's start with this one. Fellas, I don't know if you saw this projection on Bleacher Report, but they talked about Noah Hannafin projecting potentially $9 million for his next contract. Would that be something the Blues would explore? So I saw this, and then, of course, my ears perked up because I, I love the idea of Noah Hannafin. He's that, like, he is the alpha dog that Doug Armstrong was talking about. Here's the thing. He's going to make, if he's making $9 million, like, and that's just projection, it could be more depending on the cap going up, how he plays, and frankly, looking at what Rasmus Dahlin just got. But $9 million next year, if you were just to put it on this team without changing anything, no signing of the free agents or the RFAs, you bring in Hannaf and the roster stays in place. You have about $7.8 million, and you'd have to fill four forward spots. Now, the uh, expectation would probably be a Snuggerud, a Dean, and a Bullduke would be a part of that. Those are rookie contracts, probably about $3 million total. Beyond that, I mean, you're talking about filling an extra defenseman spot and an extra forward spot with million dollars or less. You could absolutely do it this year, or I'm sorry, next year. And then the year after that, it's $31 million in cap space. And there's neighbors, Torpchenko would have to get contract extensions. And a couple of guys terms and turn into modified no trade clauses. You can make it work. The problem is, is he willing to come here and 
are you willing to give him what he's going to want? Because I can almost guarantee it's going to be a no movement clause and it's probably going to be more than $9 million. Yeah, that's where it'll get interesting. If it is more than $9 million, if he wants a no move, um, because we saw the no movement clause is clearly a no go for the St. Louis Blues. I, The thing that I wondered about, and we were kind of trying to dissect this a little bit too, is do you have to choose between a Noah Hannafin and a Pavel Buchnevich? Because if you're going to give him nine, ten, eleven million dollars, depending on what he wants, and the market just got set again because the Buffalo Sabres signed their defenseman to an eight by eleven million dollar deal, I, it's going to be an interesting conversation if that comes up, and because. Pavel Buchnevich, arguably your best player from last season with the St. Louis Blues, and he could be the best player on this team again, going to be on that top line with Kyrou and Thomas. But you have a massive issue on, on defense. You don't have a number one guy. And if you're going to now say Preko is the Bowmeister role, you got to go find your Petrangelo to play with Colton Preko. Let's just say Booch gets $8.5 million, and that would be two years from now. That was when there was like $31 million in cap space. So you're going to be tying up $17.5 million out of that 31 with a few more roster spots to fill. It's not going to be pretty. The question is going to be what's more important to your team. And frankly, you're going to need to get an alpha dog if Pareko's not the alpha dog. And I mean, this is one. There's two ways you get alpha dogs. You draft them and you have to wait three to five years for them to become that dog. Or you trade slash sign them. And... You're not going to be able to trade for him unless you're going to give up massive assets, what the Blues aren't going to want to do. So you're going to have to sign the guy. And in the last two years alone, I think you can certainly make the argument that Hannafin, eight years in the league now, isn't that pretty crazy? Still somebody who's just 26 years old, eight years in the league, he's graduated to that elite plane. So it all comes down to your interpretation of Armstrong's Pareko-centric comments. Exactly how much do you covet that alpha dog on the back end? Exactly how much do you need him? Because at this point in time, having had that number of years to get acclimated to the NHL, you're beginning to get into that peak period one would think for Noah Hannafin well and it's it's less of the years of worrying about when they get above the age of 30 if you're signing a dude who's 26 going to be 27 you're probably signing them to a five to seven year contract I'm glad you brought that up because that's going to be the interesting part about the Buchnevich contract too it's gonna because be 31. Buch is what 29 29 yeah so year? it'll be 31 when is when yeah. he's a free agent so that, that's something to keep in mind, too, because we know that the Blues don't want to go deep into a player's 30s. Part of the reason they let Perron go, part of the reason they basically just let Ryan O'Reilly walk rather than giving him a deal. And because, like, I mean, they were entering this retool, too. Like, that is a part of it. Uh, but that is something to keep in mind as well. It It's going to be interesting to see if they do go into the Noah Hannafin, Noah Hannafin sweepstakes and if that has any effect on the Pavel Buchnevich decision. From the 217 for questions and answers, guys, if Brady Cook plays like he did the first half against LSU for the rest of the season, is he a first round draft pick? No. No. He's not a he's not a he's not an NFL caliber starting quarterback. Yeah. He's a NFL caliber backup, I would say. Now if he comes back next year and does it again. Maybe we could get into the conversation. Totally concur. And if nothing else, MU is a backup quarterback university, right? (laughs) I didn't want to say it, but yes. I will say as much. And Cook, I quite honestly, you can say what you want about him departing briefly, getting examined at halftime of that LSU game. This Mizzou offense, we understand it was not the same against the Tigers in that second half. I am very eager to see 
what he is able to do against a tough Kentucky team and a tough Kentucky secondary this coming Saturday. This is by no means going to be an easy test. Put the disappointment of last week behind the program and move forward into the South Carolina game. Luther Burton is going to make anyone under center a heck of a lot better, but let's continue to see that progression from Cook because bear in mind, you're going to get one more season of him in Columbia. He's not jumping. You'll get a senior season. Yeah, and if there's one guy that could potentially become a first-round pick on the Mizzou roster, it's it's probably Burton. He's probably the only guy that I can think of right now. If there's somebody I'm forgetting, Brad, for sure let me know. Somebody on the defensive side, Darius Robinson may be migrating into that territory as an elite pass rusher, but Luther Burton has that top 10 potential, has the potential to really the likelihood, I'd say, of entering next campaign in that Heisman conversation. Bradford Bruns, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Appreciate all the questions on our Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, Bill DeWitt III had a quote in the Post-Dispatch, or it was the St. Louis Business Journal, talking about the Cardinals' plans of being aggressive. We've heard this song before, but are they ready to dance? We'll discuss that next here on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So stop me if you've heard this before. Someone in the Cardinals organization, T-Bone, says next year our payroll is going up. Huh. And we expect to compete. Huh. Heard that before, right? Yeah, I remember that last year. Now, let's say you hear it again, and do okay. you buy it? Well. Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, that's what came out of Bill DeWitt III's mouth. He was talking with the St. Louis Business Journal, and alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. Here's what Bill DeWitt III had to say. The Cardinals plan to be, quote, aggressive in returning the club's winning ways to 2024. With plans to increase, he says, we do believe when we're looking forward to 2024, we're trying to compete. We're trying to be aggressive in assuring that it's a one-time blip for us. So that's basically what Bill DeWitt III was talking about when he said payroll is going to go up. Now, I can understand a Cardinals fan looking at that and saying, yeah, said that last year. And then we found out that the deferred money was actually one year's worth of salary for Wayno, and that was your cap going up. I, I, I hate to say that I'm buying what he's selling, But because this season was so awful, I do see where the aggressive part is coming into play with what he's saying. Now, are you going to back up it with going out there and signing that legit one and two guy for your rotation to fix your bullpen, to go out there and spend the assets necessary to get you to that competitiveness? But that's the part that I didn't. That's the part that made me skeptical and wince a little, T-Bone, when he said, when I look at 2024, we're trying to compete. And that's not, we're trying to be the top dog, it's we're trying to compete. Well, and that's I, what makes me nervous. I don't think they were ever going to come out and say, we're trying to be the top dog. Like, I, 
because when but doesn't he, compete sound like just get in and anything can no, happen? No, I, I think I think compete means you know go out there and be a ninety to ninety five win ball club. I I don't think like they would come out and say we're going to go out and win one hundred and five games because you add that on top of yeah our finances are going to increase. That that is essentially like saying we're going to pull a Cohen and we're going to spend like crazy, which they're not going to do. That part of the reason I do buy into what they are saying this year, and look, maybe I'll end up being wrong, and we can play this cut when we get ready for spring training. Bradford, but, cut it. I will. Um, the reason I buy this one this time around is because it's almost a combined messaging, and I can't. I remember last year mostly, you know, we expect payroll to go up, but I don't remember it hearing from ownership about payroll going going up. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't recall ownership saying it as well. I think I remember most saying, you know, our expectations is payroll will increase. You're now seeing that it feels like they're almost on the same page, where Mo is saying, I we need three pitchers. And he put a number on it, three. You can't hide around that. Like, you can't squint and go, is that a pitcher I'm looking at out there? No, you, you can't. Unlike the payroll, where they could kind of fluctuate it like they did and get the little caveat of, oh, oh wait, you didn't know we were counting the deferred money, did you? <laughs> Look um, over here! <laughs> yeah. but, so, Moa said three pitchers, and now you've got ownership saying, we're, we're going to increase payroll. That feels like two messages that are almost together. But hasn't Mo backed, or backed away from the three pitchers comment? No, I have not seen anything that says he's backing away from the three pitchers. Okay. The messaging, though, still remains somewhat murky, I think, and this is why. One word can make all of the difference in the world, and I think it does for the Cardinals fan base, trying to compete. What does that mean relative to just competing? Because, Alex, you mentioned going out, getting the one and the two. A pair of twos at this juncture for the St. Louis Cardinals, yeah, you need three arms altogether, all told. But if you're not getting a prohibitive one, and a two, no longer will the two at number two suffice, I think, for this organization. And in a way, you can interpret the quote as soft peddling matters to a degree because semantics aside here, word choice, competing and trying to compete, doing so and making strides to get into the top 10 payroll rise, to be able to actually move into that higher territory. It's believe it when you see it for most of this fan base. And here's the biggest thing with it. And I heard Claves mention this on the opening drive a couple of days ago. I think it was yesterday. It's like everybody's got money. So that's not going to be the benefit for the Cardinals in terms of bringing guys in. So if you're going to be aggressive and payrolls going up, that's great. It means you can be in the conversations with the Yankees and the Dodgers and these teams that are going to be competing for these number ones. But none of this matters if you don't come away with that top guy. If you say, well, we offered the money and they weren't willing to come here, that's still not going to be good enough for Cardinals fans. So when you make this statement and say, we're going to be aggressive, payroll is going up, we want to compete next year, last year was a blip on the radar, if you don't come away with it and use the shrug emoji and say, well, we gave them the money and they didn't want it, that, that doesn't that doesn't give you an out for this upcoming season. That's when you're going to have to start doing things you don't want to do. Yeah, and I, I think Bradford hit something that hit it perfectly of, you know, they. I don't think if you're going to say payroll's going up, I don't know if you can leave the offseason without getting somebody from that top tier. Oh, you have to. I, it almost feels like it's a must now. Yeah. And, and the guys in that top tier, I would say, is Yamamoto, Snell, and I, I, I still would, put Nola there. I wouldn't throw Nola into that conversation because I don't think he's a one. But if you wanted to, I I would get it. But that feels more of a oh he's like kind of that one B. He's not one A. And that's the Yamamoto. That's the Blake Snell. If you're gonna say payroll's going up, you almost it almost feels like you have to have the expectation of we're going to land one of these top dogs that's on this pitching market. Can Nola do anything? 
during the duration of these playoffs right now to change your mindset? Or is he this guy no matter what? We saw what he did in the opener, and certainly I think this series has the potential to go along here. With what we saw down the stretch from him in 2023, we know he wasn't effective. His numbers from the last couple of seasons, you guys have mentioned it on various occasions on this very program, very Miles Michaelis-esque. Is that your number one moving forward? Potentially not. But what about if he is able to get to another, yet another level in this postseason? So I, I think he pitches tonight, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to double check that real quick. I'm but pretty I, sure he does because um, Wheeler just pitched. Yeah. Um, if he pitches well tonight against the Braves, and whether they get eliminated in this series to Atlanta or they go on further and he continues to pitch well, well, I still think he should be viewed as a two, but he's a two that can propel himself to the level of a one in a postseason series. And that is something that is important to look into. Like I, I think I know Sonny Gray struggled yesterday, but he pitched well in his first start in the playoffs against the Toronto Blue Jays. Swing and miss. And Pablo Lopez, a guy that I view, he's not going to be on the market, but Pablo Lopez is not a one in my eyes. But he's pitching like a one right now. Why? Because he can raise his game to the next level when the stage is at its most critical point in the playoffs. So he pitches well in the playoffs. Yes, I think there is a bit of – I think then I would look at him and say, okay, I'll put him in that top tier. I don't know if I'll ever view him as a one, but he can pitch well in the playoffs, and if he can pitch well on that stage, then he's a guy that I'm willing to trust and give him a big contract. And then again, that's why I would then throw him into tier one. He's going to be tier one for me no matter what, just because, and I know the swing and miss isn't there, and I know his stuff has regressed, but he's the best available pitcher to you. And I know that doesn't mean he's an actual one, but he's in the one conversation, and I'm trying to think of the proper way to phrase this because I know it sounds like I'm just forcing him into that spot, but you put yourself in the spot. And look, I think he pitches like a one. It's just not in the way that the Cardinals need. That's why if you're going to go after Nola, you also have to get swing and miss stuff. You also have to get somebody who's going to be a two that you can see the you can see the light at the end of the tunnel of where he could be a number one. And this is the trade conversation. This is the going out there and making the move for a Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez is not a number one for a lot of people. He's a number two, T-Bone. We've talked about this. But in that series for Minnesota, he pitched like a number one. That's the offseason that's going to be required. And for the Cardinals, it's going to be a matter of making a trade that you don't want to move on from or really increasing payroll and finding a way to get a Yamamoto and somebody else in that top tier conversation. And, and hearing Bill the third say, you know, payroll is going up. Part, again, I, I go back to the Mo comment. And whether you want to say, you know, they walked back that because they liked the Mo had a comment that said they liked some of their internal options. Look, they know if they're going to add two, three starters and they're going to add two bullpen arms, as reported by Derek Gould in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch uh, either earlier this week or over the weekend, it's going to cost them a lot. They're going to have they're going to have to raise the payroll. There is no doubt about it. They cannot go into a year in which they bring in like one top-tier starter and then they just piece it together and then they just kind of piece together the bullpen. That that can't happen. I think they I think these comments, at least for me reaffirm what the front office was saying if we need three starters and hearing the report that they're targeting two bullpen arms and knowing that they're going to have to adjust to the, hey, 
Pitching's expensive, and we're going to have to raise the payroll if we're going to go out and get what's necessary. To increase the payroll demonstrably, that's where the number one enters the equation. The number two, Alex, as you referenced, maybe with that upside, because if you're willing to do that, then maybe for at least a touch longer, you can retain more of the Fabergé eggs, your youth, i.e. Gorman, etc. That's why the uh, rest of this postseason is going to be so fascinating when Nola's still in it, when you got Sonny Gray in it, when you can see what some of these guys offer, and then, of course, the trade market, that conversation heats up more and more as you get deeper into the postseason. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, there seems to be a shift with Colton Pareko from Doug Armstrong's mindset, and I think this is going to help Blues fans going into this season, but coming up next, you send us a scenario. We'll tell you which, well, two scenarios. You tell us, too. We'll tell you which one's more likely to happen on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jackson Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Our Air Comfort Service text line is 314-399-9646. That is where you send us two scenarios, and we're going to tell you which one is more likely to happen. I'll start this one off for you, fellas. More likely to happen. Jordan Bennington finishes with a 9, 10, or above save percentage. Tanner, don't answer. Probably option B. Or a secondary player on the Blues. So somebody not in their top line, Kyber Thomas Buchnevich, scores 30 or more goals. Ooh, that's interesting. 30. Ooh. I I don't like that tone, Bradford. I will will say more likely it is a secondary player that scores 30. I I know Jamie thinks I'm we're crazy for thinking this. I could totally see Vrana scoring 30 if everything goes right. Oh, I know. I've heard so many people respond to me when I'm like, he could score 40. 40 goals? Just so we're clear, I have the receipt for when he scores his 30th or 40th goal um, this season. But I I think it's possible that he could do that. If he's healthy, he's got a great shot. I think he's going to get pretty good power play opportunities. Um, I, I could see where Vrana scores 30. He's probably the only guy that I could see doing that because everybody else I don't think could just running through the names in my head but I I could totally see where Verona does it so I'll say that's more likely I'm going to say Bennington here surprise surprise well, it's a day that ends yeah. in Y, am I, I right? I don't think 9-10 is as lofty of expectations as possible. How many I, times has he done that? Hasn't he I think only it's done it twice. Like once? No, I think it's twice. I think it was his first two years, and then he had the third year, which was the bubble year, and then he had the yeah. last year two years ago, which was awful until he got to the postseason, and then last year where it didn't back it up. 9-10 is doable, and if you get 9-10 save percentage from Jordan Bennington, your team is going to be pushing for that third-place spot. The question is, can he get there if the defense doesn't improve? And really, that's what I'm relying on. But as much as I believe Verona is going to score those 30 goals, I always take injuries into consideration and always wonder if, okay, if it's a cold streak, do you get moved around? I'm going to stick with Bennington on this one. T-Bone, what do you got? More likely to repeat as champion this year, the Kansas City Chiefs or the Vegas Golden Knights? Ooh. Um, I'm going to say it's the Chiefs. Because I think they're going to make a trade for a wide receiver. And I also, this is going to sound awful to say, but I think the, 
think it's easier to win the Super Bowl than it is to win the Stanley Cup. Especially if you're Vegas, because Vegas, I, I mean, you've got the target on your back. I still don't buy into their goaltender, even though I know he, he was great last year and he's great this year. But 82-plus games in a season, when you've got such a top-heavy roster, that's not going to be easy, especially for what some of these other teams have. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are still one of the favorites in the AFC. Plus, Miami's medal still has to be sufficiently tested in the playoffs. You still have Buffalo out there as well, but from week to week, there is that unpredictability there. For the Chiefs, you you just feel, guys, as if it's inevitable down the stretch. You know this wide receiving core is not going to be able to lean on more, Tony, etc. There has to be another reinforcement brought in, somebody other than Travis Kelsey. And maybe this is just the type of snake-bitten campaign that we're going to see for Travis Kelsey. Approaching mid-30s now, as he gets older, you can't bank on him necessarily, even though he's been incredibly durable during his NFL career, to be there for you every single week. So now is the time for them to, I believe, really come up with that reinforcement. Whom could it be? Well, if Tampa Bay starts to drop more and more, that name Mike Evans seems to be really popular. I don't know if they pull the trigger on somebody like that, but boy, would that be interesting. I agree with everything that you guys just said, but I think they're it is more likely Vegas would pull it off because the AFC, I, I think it is going to be, I know like so far it hasn't played out still the way I thought it would where we'd see like four or five really dominant teams. Miami, to Bradford's point, still got to prove in the playoffs, but if Tua stays healthy, that team looks like they are going to be like tough out in the playoffs. I believe Cincinnati is going to get back on track. They're going to be tough to beat. Buffalo, if Josh Allen has a great Josh Allen game, they're tough to beat. Uh, Jacksonville's another solid team. Like, and I just, I'm not convinced they're pulling off a trade for a wide receiver. I, I think making a big trade, we talk about it like it's easy, like we see it, like we're going to see it more often since we've seen like the McCaffrey trade, the Chubb trade last year. I, I'm still skeptical. We see a big deal done by the Chiefs. I think they're lacking the weapons necessary to go on a Super Bowl run. Vegas looked awesome last night, and I get it's only one game, and their goalkeeper's going to have a lot to prove. They looked like a team that's going to be a very tough team to beat in the playoffs again. Or here's a novel idea. How about leaning on Isaiah Pacheco a little more and giving him more than eight carries in a crucial game? Don't that would get be nice. Me started on a damn coach not using their running back properly. Dan Campbell. Oh, I've heard. I know. Dan Campbell, you joke. Bradford, what do you got for more Follow me on this one, guys. Combining a couple of the local teams on the college football front for Mizzou. More likely to happen. More than one SEC loss the rest of the way. Remember, that schedule includes at Kentucky, Georgia. Going to Georgia, you've got Florida and Tennessee at home. Or Tanner's fighting Illini pick up more than two Big Ten victories. Oh, well, this is easy. It's Mizzou less than one SEC loss. I think the, I don't. We talked about this one on Monday. I, I Two Big Ten game or victories for Illinois seems really tough. And I know T-Bone feels they uh, he's drinking that Bioma Kool-Aid right now, thinking that they can pull it off. But I, I think Mizzou could win against Kentucky, and I think that other losses against Georgia. I'm still optimistic after what happened in the LSU game. I'm not optimistic about Illinois. You like them to beat both Tennessee and Florida at home in November. I do. Okay. okay. Uh, this is tough. Um because I'm not drinking the Bielma Kool-Aid. I think it's the beginning of the end. It's sour freaking Kool-Aid. Somebody put salt um, instead of sugar in that yeah. bad boy. I think I would side, though, that it's more likely the Illinois can win two Big Ten games the rest of the way. Because though Illinois is bad, and I'm not denying it, trust me, they, they stink at everything. Um, the Big Ten West sucks. You don't have a ton of heavy hitters They're, left. Yeah, they like their next two games are losses for sure. They're at Maryland this weekend, and they've got... 
um, Wisconsin after that. But Minnesota, they're bad. Indiana stinks. Iowa, like they, it's Iowa. Like they, they don't have an offense. Where have I heard that one? Before? Yeah. It's Iowa. Uh, and, they, and then they've got Northwestern. Like they can win two of those four. And not taking anything away from Missouri, because I totally could see where they only lose one more SEC game than it is to Georgia. I think they lose this week at Kentucky. They're going to be hungry off of just being just destroyed by Georgia. And then you got a loss to Georgia as well. And I think those are the only two that they will lose the rest of the way. But I would say more likely Illinois will win two more in the Big Ten. For Mizzou, it is still a problem of being able to consistently control the line of scrimmage in the running game. And also, Alex, I think to commit to that running game to excess, you think about the contest versus LSU. And yes, it's that 49 to 39 final. But even when Cody Schrader is effective on the ground, it's the belief in that ground game. When you're rushing for over 100 yards and yet against that defense, against the next level athleticism, a lot of talent that's supposed to be bound for the NFL, you're only getting 13 carries i think the belief has to be there for mizzou and kentucky on the same note is very stout against the run so that very well could be a closer than expected matchup this weekend uh from the 573 more likely to happen the cardinals are in the ds next season or the blues get to the second round in the playoffs this season ds next season i think this is easy it's the ds for the cardinals i don't see a scenario where the blues get to the second round i mean I'm hoping they get to the first round of the playoffs, but oh, man, I mean, if, let's be real here, though. If we're talking, they get to third place like Doug's expecting. You're taking on one of Dallas or Colorado in the first round. True. And if you get a wild card, you're taking on one of Edmonton or Vegas or Colorado or Dallas. And yes, I, I anything can happen in the playoffs and Bennington has robbed it before. But I mean, got to be realistic in this situation. That is going to be a lofty expectation for the blues and frankly if you get into the playoffs that's a win in my book if you don't make it to the ds if you're the cardinals and you're saying all these things that's another joke of a season so i'm gonna say it's more likely they get to the ds i i think i agree i don't know if i'd say it was a joke of a season but i i do agree like it would be very disappointing because i mean if you win the nl central and get swept in a wild card series you're telling me that that's that's a successful season in your eyes uh, no but i wouldn't call it a joke i think a joke is what this season was which was 20 games below 500 um it would it would be a disappointment for sure and it would mean that they still have work to do even after spending potentially 50 million dollars and more in terms of AAV and their contracts. Um, but I, I think it's more likely the Cardinals would get to the DS just because I, I don't know if they'll get a top two seed, but they get to a wild card round. They should, if they do the offseason properly, have two dogs that can carry them through a wild card series and get them to the DS. Much like you, Tanner, I believe that everybody under the sun qualifies for the MLB postseason. So you actually get Not to that point. <laughs> you get to that, that point. And worse, then, but yeah. uh, it's true. And then hear me out. Your dogs, to use your term, and Nola and Gray take games one and two, respectively. There it is. Draw wow. it up. Mm. Yeah, that's not happening. I, no, I will say this, though. Like, <laughs> if the Blues do get in, like, if you were asking me who's more likely to pull, it's tough to do this because, like, we're talking, like, a year from now in the MLB playoffs. Right. But if you're telling me, like, who's more likely to pull off an upset as an underdog, whether it be the Cardinals in the playoffs next year or the Blues this year, I would say the Blues, and it, it's not so much like trusting the defense or the offense. It's Bennington. It, it's Bennington. Mm -hmm. As much as I am skeptical of him being a regular season goalie. And we saw he almost took down Colorado, uh, what was it, two years ago now? Like, that team had its toughest test going against Jordan Bennington and the Blues. And if he doesn't get hurt, I, 
there's a chance they win that series. That's when we see the 920 save percentage or higher. Yeah. Yeah. You Not in the regular that. season, but no. in the postseason. Okay. That's enough out of both of you. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, Fred, from, who's right. From the 314, more likely to happen the Blues are buyers at the deadline or Cardinals are sellers at the deadline? I, I would say more likely Blues are buyers. If the offseason goes to plan, the Cardinals will not be sellers at next year's trade deadline. Two consecutive summers of being sellers yeah. not happening. Yeah, 100% agree. They 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 can't get to that point next year. And if they, if they were to get to that point, my assumption is that the injury bug just derailed the Cardinals season. And it wasn't a organization failure as much as it was an injury bug killed them. Yeah, it's more likely the Blues are, are buyers. I, I don't see a scenario, even if the Cardinals are bad, they'll stand pat rather than sell. I don't really know what pieces they'd have to sell. I'd have to look at their contract situation. But How about, you know, Goldie? Well, you don't sell either. him. He's a Cardinals Hall of Famer. Got to keep him in the red jacket. Doing that again. True. Yeah, we got to keep him here. I, I can see a scenario where the Blues buy at the deadline, and it's what Doug Armstrong said in the open of our show. If he sees that the attitude is in the right place with this team and sees like the the core is in the winning mindset, well, you back that. And if there's a defenseman out there that's here on the long run, they'll trade some of the assets they have in the minors. Like he doesn't mind doing that, but he's not going to do it for a team that it doesn't benefit them. And it really comes down to how they perform. I, I am fascinated to know what happens if this team is like borderline playoffs when we get to the trade. If they're line. anything like they were last year, I think they're sellers. Uh, well, I agree with that. I, I 100% agree with that. But I, what, I'm, what I'm fascinated by is like if they are on the fringe, if they're like that second-to-last yeah. wild-card spot and they're up by like a point or they're a point back in the playoffs, yeah, and we talked what about do you that. do? Like, I, that's, I think you're, you're going to stand pat. Unless there's a defenseman out there that you can have long-term, you're not making a trade. They're not just going to buy for one season. Like, you're not going rentals. Doug rarely gets rentals. Um so, yeah, but I mean, it is going to be fascinating in terms of what they try to accomplish with that. It really comes down to certain players and, and those expectations that you have on them. Speaking of that, one guy has had the alpha dog expectation. Has that rule shifted to something that's more beneficial to him and the organization? We'll discuss that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Colton being an offensive catalyst, that that's not going to be his game. That's not is his game. Uh, he's he. I think when he came in as a, as a rookie, he he got some points early. Pucks were going in the net form, and, and there was the hope that there was a an offensive, uh, a larger offensive side to him. I think what we found out now is for him to have a successful year and a successful career, it's going to be more in that Jay Bowmeister style of player where he's a uh, uses his skating, defends well with his stick, kills plays down low, kills cycles, makes an initial first pass. Uh, Going to play 20-plus minutes a night of hard minutes, probably not a lot of power play, if any. Second unit, potentially, at certain times. Uh, so his job is to play against the other team's best players. So that was Doug Armstrong, president of hockey operations for the Blues, who spoke earlier today, a little media availability before the start of the season tomorrow night against the Dallas Stars, which you can hear right here on 101 ESPN, your home for the Blues. 7 o'clock puck drop, 6 o'clock first community pregame show with myself and Joe Vitale. And when he said that, T-Bone, I looked at you immediately and was like, okay, we've got something here. Because the way that he framed it, sound like they shifted their mentality away from Colton Pareko being the alpha dog that Doug Armstrong labeled him as 
to more of a shutdown defenseman. And I know, save the jokes. Oh, you can't even be a shutdown defenseman, Alex. Here's the thing. Can't even play hockey. Shut it, Tanner. <laughs> There's a reason that Doug Armstrong thought he was going to be that alpha dog. And you, you, you can't sit there and act like he wasn't this. Because his first year, he was... Eighth ranked in Calder rookie, the Calder Trophy, which is the rookie rankings. He was an all-star rookie, and he scored nine goals. Like, he scored nine goals and was a plus 28 in his rookie year. The next year, he had four and 35 points, six and 29, and then back-to-back years where he scored 10 goals. Like, that right there tells people, this guy can score double-digit goals for us. He's got a booming slap shot, and he's playing 23 minutes a night. That's an alpha dog. The problem was you lost your other alpha dog. And when you lose the guy that does everything, it's hard for somebody who has that protection to step up to that. And I think Doug's spot on. If you look at what he was, like take last year out, because last year was awful. But the year prior, when he was 28 years old, he had six goals, 35 points, it was a plus 16. The role of shutdown defenseman for Colton Pareko is a lot more apt to who he is. He's big. He's fast. He plays a lot of minutes on the ice. Yes, he's not physical. People need to stop thinking that he's Chris Pronger. He's not Chris Pronger. His skill is getting the puck out of the zone quickly and using his size and stick length to block and close up the gaps. He's got to do that. That's what is going to make him successful, just like Jay Bomeister. But we all remember Jay Bomeister when he got to St. Louis. The expectations were, oh, this dude's going to be a number one with Petro and the best shutdown pair. And he was in the same spot as Pareko, where it was pucks bouncing off of his stick. It was like, well, why isn't this working out? Because that's not who he was. So Doug Armstrong, it seems like, is trying to shift this mentality to Colton Pareko might not be the alpha dog we thought he was. But Colton Pareko can absolutely play 23-plus minutes a night and shut down the other top lines because he's done that in his career. The question is, can you do it consistently? Yeah, I I think the Blues... And I think they've known this for really the last two, maybe three years. They know he can be a good defensive defenseman. Like, you, you've seen it at times. Now, I will say, like, some of the issues that he has had have been the inconsistencies. Like, I know last year was a bad year, but you saw a stretch after the trade deadline where it was like, wow, that's the Colton Preco. I can see why they gave him the contract extension. And even in 21-22, there was a stretch where it was like, man, this is not the guy that should have gotten the contract extension that he did. They are they, – they know, I should say – that they can have him be on their top pairing, part of their top shutdown defensive pairing, if they find him the right partner. Because as great as Jay Bomeister was, Jay Bomeister needed a partner. Jay Bomeister was not going to be a part of, could not shut down a a line by himself like Alex Petrangelo could. And he wasn't offensive-minded like Alex Petrangelo. Jay Bomeister needed a partner for him to have success on the ice. And I think you're seeing that with Colton Pareko. I think... That's been the toughest thing they've been trying to figure out over the last handful of years. I mean, they've rotated around Scandella, Mikola at one point. Uh, hell, I think Wallman was with him for a game or two. <laughs> um, like they, they just keep rotating the cast around because he, he is not the alpha dog. He is a very much a Jay Bomeister type player where he is just a defensive-minded defenseman, and you do need some of those guys on your roster. He's decent at the penalty kill as well. I I found it interesting that was the kind of the comp that Doug Armstrong threw out there this yeah. after or this morning when he did his media availability because I I think he's kind of spot on. That's kind of the role that you need him to be at this point in his career. Frankly, what you're doing with this defensive core is you're using two guys to fill the role of what Alex Petrangelo was, which that's more of the underlying issue than the Pareko side of it. 
you, that's why you have Krug and Falk. Krug's the offense, Falk's the defense, the two-way defenseman. That's what you. That's what you're trying to accomplish with those two guys. And then Colton Pareko was supposed to be from the moment Petro walked out the door. He was supposed to be the guy that filled Bowmeister's shoes. He was the guy that was the shutdown, penalty kill, quick puck moving, big defenseman that could shut down the other top lines. And it hasn't worked. I would side more towards he really hasn't had somebody that that works with more than it's been Colton Pareko. But I got a comp for you. We all love comps, right? And you yeah. know me. I'm probably going to bring up like I, Bobby Orr in this situation. Geez, I've got one coming up <clears throat> at 1 o'clock or yeah. one thirty. He So when Doug made that comp to Bo Meester in terms of like this is who we expect him to be, the guy that came to mind immediately was Carolina's Jacob Slavin. Now, if you look at Jacob Slavin, he's 28 years old, so he's a year younger than Colton Pareko, and he's been in the Norris Trophy conversation nonstop. Now, he's getting like 20th ranked votes, 18th, like last year he had 17th ranked votes. But if you look at his numbers, he's not a goal scorer. He's not a point producer. This past year, he had 27 points in 76 games, but he's playing 22 minutes a night. He's playing penalty kill minutes for you. Go look at Colton Pareko's numbers two years ago. So the year that they went to that second round and lost to Colorado, Colton Pareko put up those same numbers and had the same plus minus and was the same on ice time. And if you look at high danger scoring chances allowed, according to to money puck, they were absolutely similar. Jacob Slavin is a shutdown player for them. He's not viewed as the alpha dog. The alpha dog there is Brent Burns that they acquired. I can see a Colton Pareko, Jacob Slavin comp here to where you view him as somebody who is strictly on the penalty kill, five on five. You're going up against the McKinnons. The key to all of this is finding ways to eliminate those guys. That's what Slavin does well, and I'm not sure Pareko does that well yet, and we'll find that out this season. Yeah, I, I think what you said there is is, is right on, and I, I think the most important part for Pareko, at least going into this year, and there's no, like, this isn't rocket science, I'm about to tell you, but it's got to be consistent for 82 games. That I Name the last season in which you felt he was consistent for the full season in which he was healthy. Probably that year after the Cup. Yeah, like it just hasn't been the same. And, and a lot I, of it was back issues. I was going to say, 2021, like that was an odd year. I think that was the year he started to have some back issues. 21-22, yeah. I think those were rumored again. They played in until the second half of the season where he yeah. kind of got back to himself. I, like, it, the biggest thing for him is he's just got to be consistent. And like his plus minus, yeah, that's going to fluctuate. And you'd like to have it be in the plus because that means he was a part of a and he's on shutdown the ice pairing. A lot. Yeah. And he's on the ice a lot, which is meaning your defense was pretty good and he was helping get the puck out of the zone quickly using his skating ability. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing for him is it's just consistency. Because when I think Jay Bomeister, I think a guy that, or at least the way that I remember him, and I, I wasn't covering the team at the time, but the the way I remember Jay Bomeister was, was, I know what that guy's going to give you night in, night out. Yep. When I think of Colton Preco, at times I go, eh, I don't know what I'm going to get from Colton Preco. At time after the trade deadline last year, you could basically say, okay, I know what he's going to be because he was awesome after the trade after the trade deadline had passed. Before that though, it was a lot of inconsistent play, not getting the puck out of the zone at times, and maybe that is a lack of trust with his defensive partner, but. It, he still has to be more consistent himself. And it can't be on the partner anymore. He's the captain out there in terms of the defense. Like, whomever he's playing with, if it's Nick Letty, if it's Tori Krug, if it's Scott Perunovich, he's the one that's in charge. And that comes to the communication. And really, that's what's going to set him above the rest. 
but it's leaning into your skill set. It's leaning into what you do best, which is size, speed, and length. You don't need to be the physical presence. People need to stop acting like he's going to cross-check guys out of the crease. That's not what he's going to do. He's going to break up plays with his with his reach. He's going to be able to shove guys with his body and box them out, and he's going to be able to skate the puck out of the zone. Now, that role is defined. There's another guy that the role may not be as defined, Scott Perutovich. He makes the team which might have just been asset protection more than anything. But hearing Doug Armstrong talk today, T-Bone, he basically said like, the first answer to, you know, why Scott Perunovich, you know, made this roster. And he's like, well, he's on the roster. But I don't think there's a defined role for Scott Perunovich. The, the defined role is when you get an opportunity to play, which to me sounds like if, if it's more of a speed rather than a size team that they're playing against, like Chicago, you'll put Scott Perunovich in lineup to move the puck over a Tucker or a Scandella. But unless there's an injury, sustained playing time might not be there this season for Scott Perunovich. And frankly, what Doug said was, when you're in, you better make the most of it. Yeah, I kind of got the same sense as you as I don't know if they have a clear role for Scott Perunovich going into the year and are hoping kind of going to almost go by the old cliche of it'll work itself out. Like, that's the way it feels right now (laughs) of, well, somebody's going to get hurt at some point. And when that's the case, then we'll figure out a role for Scott Perunovich because it, it sounded very much like a slow play scenario in terms of he hasn't been healthy much and they're going to go with the route of he's going to be in the press box and we just want him to get kind of consistent. I, I it's not even consistent playing time. It's more yeah. of just consistency of getting to see and experience what the NHL level is like since he's been dealing with so many injuries. I, I think you're right. Like I, They're probably going to work him into a couple of games here early on in the season just so he doesn't have to sit up in the press box for like a month before he touches the ice again. But I don't think there is a defined role for Scott Pernovich. And may, one may not be defined unless an injury does occur this year. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk it over with Matt Larkin of the Daily Faceoff. Get his thoughts on the upcoming season for the Blues, the expectation. See what his, uh, his idea is for the St. Louis Blues team. But coming up next, apparently Tanner and uh, well, his eyebrows don't match well. We'll dive into that on the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time to dive into the junk drawer as apparently we found out T-Bone and Fire don't work well together. Yeah, no, we, we do not get along. What, what happened, buddy? Uh, so I went over to the grandparents yesterday. And I, they asked me to grill some burgers. Uh-oh. So I go out there, and the grill, it's a um, – why am I drawing a blank? It's not charcoal. It's a, It's got a propane tank. Yeah. And it's got to where you turn the knob, and you, it opens up the where the propane will come mm-hmm. out, and it's got a little igniter button that typically has worked in the past. <laughs> well, I hit the button. Nothing happens. So I turn it off. I put in new batteries. I try again. It doesn't work. Try it again. doesn't work. So I said, okay, I need a lighter to get this Oh, my going. God, no. So uh, no. I, I have the lighter, and I've got the propane on, you know, and I, I'm i clicking the lighter. I'm like, man, this thing's not going. Does this have anything left in it? And all of a sudden, like, it hits, and it was woof, and a big burst of flame shot up. And it was like one of those where I went, ah, and, like, screamed, and, like, 
my face got warm. I, my shirt, I thought my shirt was on fire, how warm my chest got. I, I looked down, I was like, is there a hole in my chest? Okay. Dude, that I'm good. was... I had to go to the bathroom to make sure I didn't burn off an eyebrow. I don't... I think everything's good. I don't think I caught any hair on fire. I did burn off hair on my uh, <laughs> on my fingers, though, in my hand. That Dude. place could have gone up like the hospital in the dark night. My goodness. Uh, what a visual. Was, what made you think a, a propane tank that's open where there's fumes that lighting something next to it was a good idea. Well, you're supposed to, like, I gotta, like, you've gotta light it. Well, you're supposed it. to do it, like, right when you turn it on. How long was your propane tank open before you did it? Like, I didn't leave it on, like, while I was switching out the battery. I turned it off. It let it kind of settle down because I was doing the battery. But then I turned it on in, like, I wait, waited, like, five seconds. And then I, like, because I couldn't get the lighter to go. I'm like, wait, let's take it. And then all of a sudden it was just, boom, and it just woof, and it shot up, and it, I, I truly screamed. Dude, I had to do that with our, because we have a gas oven, and I had to do that with one of our, our lighters because it wasn't turning on. And so, like, I turned it off, and I let it sit. I let I turned the uh, microwave vent on to kind of suck up all the fumes because I didn't want fumes to be in the air. And so I turned it back on, and I turned it on low while it's clicking to light it. I'm, no joke, dude. It's still, like, <laughs> blue and i'm like oh jesus so, i hate stuff wait, like that was i supposed to like have the lighter on at first and then turn on yeah. the you're not oh. supposed to turn because what you did was you turned the propane tank you opened it you turned it on to try and get it so the propane fuel is pushing up through the air so basically what you just did was there's gasoline in the air and you just lit a flame next to it. Yeah. This makes sense. You're supposed to have it closed, turn the thing on, and yeah. then open it Because I, just so we all have a picture of what went through in my head how this was going to go, was when the lighter wouldn't go on, there like might be a little burst. and Or like when, when you have the igniter that works, it's like a slow, like you press the button, you hear the igniter, and then you just get the... And just a nice little calm little flame pops up, Tanner. and this was like a fireball that I I had to run inside and go. Okay, my chest feels really warm right now. I don't see anything that burnt through my shirt. My <laughs> hand definitely might be burnt. I did definitely lose hair from my hand and maybe a little bit on my arm here. Singed. And I still had my eyebrows. Dude, which you're was lucky great. you did look like freaking Freddy Krueger when uh, you came to work today. Dude, I don't. I may have had to have a sick day if I blow no, off an no. eyebrow. We don't get to hand out sick days. BK's got the sick day. If you burn your I, face off, you're coming into work. It was. Whew. Tanner, yeah. it's okay. You have my sympathies. This guy can barely handle chicken nuggets in the oven. Okay. Hey. hey. I should get an air I fryer for uh, <laughs> Someone, 618, were the burgers good? I, they were good. <laughs> Tanner doesn't know he burnt off his taste buds. No, no. They, they were good. I could taste them, but... Uh, I kid you, I, I've never screamed maybe, so loud in my life. Maybe a charcoal grill from now on, buddy. Yeah. Although you got to light those also. So you well, and that, fire just. I, I've maybe never had an issue with grill. that. I've never had an issue with a charcoal grill. But uh, th this was like the biggest shock of them all because I'm like, click, click, click. Oh, man, this is whoosh. Maybe an electric grill next time. He's Tanner Hendrickson. He does have both of his eyebrows. If you want to see, you head on over to our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Our studio camps presented by Air Alliance team. Matt Larkin, Daily Faceoff, is going to talk blues and NHL with us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, the Blues kick off their season tomorrow night against the Dallas Stars alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. Plenty of excitement and more curiosity for this Blues team and frankly, the NHL uh, starting up. 
regular season which kicked off last night and to talk a little bit more about it one of my favorites he is the managing editor and senior writer over at daily faceoff he is matt larkin matt it's great to catch up with you buddy are you happy hockey's are finally back alex it's great to be back my friend on the show and yes i'm very happy i feel like this is one of the more hyped seasons in a while so it feels like it's been a long time coming. I've been waiting with bated breath. Yeah, uh, we have in St. Louis as well. And, of course, we're, we're, we'll stick blue-centric and then kind of go a little wide picture towards the end of this map. But I, I feel like the anticipation for the season is there for Blues fans, not so much in terms of excitement, but more so of just unsure of what this team truly is. Do you feel like you know what the Blues are going into this season? I don't think so. I think uncertain is a very fair description. Um, and if you remember when I came on the show a year ago, I made this sort of a disappointing projection that they were going to be the bust team of the year because they were a poor defensive team. I still worry that they are a poor defensive team. I think they have a nice deep forward group. Goaltending is a real question mark. That could really determine whether they are a contender in the central again or not. But I think they're one of the toughest teams to forecast. I agree. Matt, do you think they're going to have to be kind of like they were two years ago, the team that's just, if they're going to be winning and they're going to get themselves back into the playoff conversation, they're going to have to outscore their defensive problems? I think so, yes. And to me, that's the big the big question to answer. So if you look at what they've done on the blue line, it really looks very similar to what we've seen in the last couple of seasons. At forward, I, just, I really do like the depth of this group. And, of course, adding, adding Kevin Hayes to that group up the middle really solidifies it. Even getting Jakob Vrana late last year, bringing back Sammy Blay, it's a deep group. But the thing is, what's the ceiling of this group? You get great production from McNavich and Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, but these aren't 100-point scorers, right? So can the Blues be good enough offensively to offset the struggles defensively? I'm not sure. And that's why I go back to the goaltending. A couple of years ago, Another thing that was characteristic of the team was Billy Huso stepping up, outplaying Jordan Bennington, taking the job for a significant part of that season. And I'm wondering the same about Joel Hofer. Can he and usurp Jordan Bennington? And that could be something that determines the Blues' fate. Uh, you know, a lot of us in St. Louis, Matt, we, we saw Bennington last year, and look, the numbers did not look good. I mean, what was it, an 894 save percentage? Very concerning if you're hoping for this guy to be like what he was in the past. But a lot of those games, it was just terrible defense in front of him. Is there something you need to see from Bennington this year, Matt, that gives you the, I guess, hope that he can get back to what he once was? Or if it's an underwhelming season, it just might be done for Bennington. I think there are a lot of things you need to see from Jordan Bennington just to be blatantly critical. I think he's someone, if you look at his numbers, just the numbers alone, they've declined every single season consistently since that amazing 2018-19 season. So what you need to see from Bennington in terms of numbers is consistency month to month because we know when he's hot, he runs really hot, and when he's cold, it's pretty disastrous. So I think you need to see consistency, and what connects to that as well is can he get his head on straight? We know he's become sort of known for in-game meltdowns. Can he be a goaltender who keeps his composure? I have to admit, I've grown pretty skeptical because it seems like every year he's running into the same problems. And if I'm a Blues fan wondering where to place my chips, I'm honestly looking at the backup goaltender position and wondering if Holzberg can be the guy. Because I don't think at this point Bennington is. It's not like the sample size is tiny anymore. We've seen year after year of decline in his case. Matt, when when we're talking about the St. Louis Blues, one thing that I continue to see pop up now that we're getting close to the season is Craig Bruby's name being a top of the list or second on most lists as being a coach that's on the hot seat. Do you do you think that Craig Bruby could be on the hot seat this season if things don't get turned around? 
I think he would be ranking relatively high just because the Blues are a team that I don't think they characterize themselves as rebuilders, even though, of course, they sold off some pieces last year. But I think this is a group that still kept a lot of its pieces together, even just trading for Kevin Hayes at all. That shows this is a team that doesn't think it's going in the toilet. I think Doug Armstrong still believes this group can contend. And based on that, there should be still a certain degree of expectation that this team can get back in the hunt. And when you set the standard of winning a Stanley Cup only four years ago, then yes, if you fall short of that standard, especially after what happened last year, I do think generally the sword tends to fall or the coach tends to fall on the sword before the GM. So that would be sort of the natural, the circle of life, if you will. Not necessarily that it would be deserved. I would argue that Rube hasn't necessarily had the right pieces on the chessboard defensively, but just we know how, that's how it works, right? The coach goes first, and if that doesn't work, then it's the GM. We're talking with Matt Larkin, one of my favorite hockey writers for the Daily Faceoff. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at MLarkinHockey. So, Matt, we do use the phrase retool for the Blues an awful lot going into this because that's what Doug Armstrong categorized it. You've seen retools. You've seen rebuilds. If they fall out of a playoff spot or if they're in a top 10 draft pick, the draft lottery conversation this upcoming offseason, does that change from a retool to a rebuild or do you view, still view them as a retool team? I think I still view them as a retool team just simply because of the money they have committed to so many players long term and some young players, right? So if you have Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas signed long term, you're not going to be capable of bottoming out. Your team's still going to be too competitive to be truly terrible. And of course you have Braden Shen. He's got five years left on his deal. And I think even in the, in the defense core, I know that so far Colton Preco hasn't lived up to that contract, but he still has so many years left on that deal. So does Tory Krug. So does, so does Dustin Fultz. So if you look at the veteran pieces in this lineup, they're not exactly tradable assets because there's so much term left. So in my mind, you're sort of stuck with what you have. I don't even want to say stuck because these are still good players, but they're not necessarily elite players. Either way, just because there's so much term on so many veteran contracts, it's just not a roster that's built to be torn apart at the moment. Matt, you had mentioned earlier, and you said it again there, not elite players, good players, and kind of have more of a pack mentality again this year for the Blues on their depth. Do you almost need a superstar to win in today's NHL? Because the Blues, I, I don't think they have that guy yet. The hope is that Thomas or Cairo takes that next step this year and gets to that level. So do they need a superstar to win in the modern NHL? I don't think you absolutely need one. I think the Vegas Golden Knights proved that last year. I would say that was a team that didn't have a true superstar. They were just an extremely deep team, really disciplined defensive team, a tough team, so it can be done. And I think you could still argue the 2019 Blues, that team had some great players. Obviously, Ryan O'Reilly had the year of his life, but I don't think they had a true superstar in that team as well. So it can be done. I think more commonly, yes, if you look at the Lightning and the Avalanche between those years, they obviously had a lot of superstars. Your odds are higher if you have one or two, but I don't think it's a necessity. The thing is, if you're a team that sort of wins by committee, it's got to be a team that's good on the defensive side of the puck as well. Because as we said, if you don't have the superstar, you can't really outscore your troubles. Got a couple more minutes with Matt Larkin of the Daily Faceoff here with us on BK and Ferrario. So, Matt, when it when it comes to the playoff picture this year, it, Doug talked earlier today with the media saying, like, you know, the goal for this team is to get the third place in the Central. That's a tough task because Minnesota had 103 points last year and still has Kirill Kaprizov and a lot of superstar caliber players. But how do you see the, the Central division falling for the Blues this year? 
I think the Central Division is undergoing changing of the guard right now. And for the first time in I don't know how many years, when I made my predictions for the season, playoff teams, I actually have five teams in the Pacific Division. I only have three teams making the playoffs in the Central. I think Dallas and Colorado are obvious, but I think you're right. I think Minnesota is the potential weak spot. And there is an opportunity to catch them because the Wild, of course, they've got more than $14 million in dead cap space with the buyouts of Zach Prize, Ryan Suter. So they really were not able to add much to that roster. And it's a roster that is solid, but it's a relatively middling group. I don't think the Minnesota Wild are going to be contending for a president's trophy anytime soon. So if there's a team you can sort of beat out for that three spot, I think that's, that's going to be the one. Obviously, it's not going to be Colorado or Dallas. And if you look at the rest of the division, obviously Chicago is just getting started, rebuilt. The Coyotes are a lot better, but they still have a long way to go. The Jets are a team that lost some major pieces as well. Nashville, I think that's a lost franchise at the moment. They gave away some big pieces, then signed some more. I think they don't know what direction they're going in. So in terms of the depth, I think the Blues are with that group. If you look at it, let's say with Nashville, Winnipeg, I think in that middle group in the division, and it's possible that someone catches the Minnesota Wild, especially if, for example, they had an injury to a Kirill Kaprizov, one of their important players, yes, it's not inconceivable. Matt, you're always my favorite, man. I love covering the hockey work that you do over at the Daily Faceoff. People could do that. They could follow you on Twitter at MLarkinHockey. Always appreciate the stuff, my man, and hopefully we'll be talking positive about the Blues in the next couple of months rather than negative. Thanks so much. It's going to be an interesting season. Real wild card. Yeah, I can't wait for it. Thanks so much. That's Matt Larkin with us. And, you know, T-Bone, what he said there at the end is what Doug Armstrong said earlier. And both said there's a changing of the guard right now in the Central. And it's the Dallas Stars and it's the Colorado Avalanche and then it's everybody else. Because Minnesota not only is still in Capel now, but they're in Capel for the next couple of years until that Ryan Suter and uh, Zach Parise contracts fade away. Which is why I think some GMs, most GMs look at not wanting to buy out players. Um, but Winnipeg is in this kind of purgatory. Blues are in this purgatory. I'm so glad to hear Matt say that Nashville's kind of a lost team because that's where I feel. And then you got Arizona and Chicago. My thought when he said it and when Doug said it is, how does this team get into that top three category in the Central? And, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And we can discuss this maybe tomorrow, but I think what it requires is fixing this cap problem that you're in, which hopefully the cap rising helps and hopefully Doug Armstrong can pull off his magic. But I do think it also requires you to have a superstar caliber player in terms of somebody's got to put up 100 points. I. I tend to agree with you. I, I think you need whether, either that or the defense gets back to playing at... Which is the cap problem. Yeah, a, a average level, yeah. I would say. Or or you fix it in the years to come, too. I, I think that's how you get back in the conversation in the in the future years. For this year alone, though, is does the defense get back to being average, slightly above average, and Bennington then follow suit with that as well? Or that top line just becomes a very dominant dominant top line in the NHL, one of the best in the NHL, with the depth around it as well. So it's going to be interesting. You know, I I still think Minnesota is a clear number three for me in the Central Division. But outside of Minnesota, Dallas, and Colorado, I, I think there's kind of that murky middle in the Central. And can you find a way to propel yourself through that? We talked about that yesterday of how do the Blues get to the point where they can kind of go past everybody else in that murky middle. And it's going to come down to that top line. It's going to come down to their defense. And that is truly the 
two things that are going to define this season. Well, he also talked about Baruby being on the hot seat. And typically after the show yesterday, T-Bone and I are like, let's not do this because there's really not much fire there. Then, of course, the Athletic dropped a piece of where Baruby could be on the hot seat. But is it just Baruby or is there somebody else? We'll discuss that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. Bradford sitting in for BK. He will be back with us tomorrow as the Blues will open up the season against the Dallas Stars. And look, you don't like to get into the hot seat conversation, especially at the beginning of the season, but that's what the polls are going on right now in terms of, oh, Craig Berube's got the best odds in terms of being fired midseason as one of the first coaches to go. Before we get to Berube, though, I think it's important to start with the ownership because ownership's the one that's going to make those decisions. If the owners are okay with it, the general manager makes the decision and then the coach is gone. If things go South, I'm still not bought in on that because Tom Stillman is backing Doug Armstrong. And if you missed the article, uh, Matt DeFranks did a great piece up at uh, the post dispatch STL today.com with Tom Stillman comments going into the upcoming season. And it seems that the comments from Tom Stillman are understanding where this team is at, understanding what the, expectation is not just this year, but for the next few years. And he's behind it. This was some of the quotes that, that he talked about. First of all, he said, I have all the confidence in the world in Doug, whether he's doing the things he's used to doing, which is continuing to build and build and build, or in this case, maybe taking a little step back and doing a bit of retooling. I think he can do both. He goes on about everything in a very deliberative, uh, careful and thought fashion. He's careful, analytic, deliberative and the way he goes about it, talking about Doug Armstrong. But this was the quote that got me, T-Bone. We considered all possible approaches. We considered start over type rebuild. And I think we, Doug and his team, determined we don't think we need to go there because we have some very key pieces in place. Starting with Thomas and Kyrie, you have players like that. It's not really time to just throw it all out the window and start over. They considered rebuilding last year. And Doug Armstrong basically said, nope, we've got the pieces in place. You don't say that unless you feel like you've got the right staff in place that can get the best out of those players. And if if Tom Stillman was willing to listen to the rebuild mindset and instead is backing the general manager, the president of of hockey operations in terms of this retool, well, then he's in a comfortable position. And if he's in a comfortable position, you can fire the head coach, but that feels like more of a step back than a step forward if things go south for Doug Armstrong. So I I agree with that part of it. Uh, One thing about the rebuild comment, I I think they probably did consider the rebuild. I think they came to the realization they couldn't rebuild. One, it is encouraging to hear them say because we felt like we had decent pieces. But I think the other part of it, too, is I don't think they could rebuild because they're stuck with some huge contracts. But if you rebuild, you could buy out those guys and eat the salary cap and just go with young players. You could, but... That's not an army thing. It's like, not. I, I think it was felt as if they considered a rebuild and then ultimately decided, even if we wanted to, we can't. We got too many long-term contracts, so let's retool this on the fly. I do I, I do believe, I mean, Tom Stillman made it very clear in that piece that, hey, the Blues are going to allow Army to, or he is going to allow Army to lead the Blues through this retool. Now, there's no pressure on it yet because there was no kind of sense of, you know, there's all the quotes we're seeing are, 
we'd want to make the playoffs. It is not a we must make the playoffs. It doesn't feel that way yet. I think Army's going to get two, three years to try and really right the ship on this. Their hope is to get back into the playoff picture, but I don't think that's the end-all be-all this year. If they miss the playoffs and it's not an ugly season, like they are in the top five lottery or top ten, then I think it is going to be viewed as a potential success depending on what happens on the ice and if you see some of those steps that do occur. But it is very clear that the Blues are – there is no pressure on Army to rush his way through this. It is take your time. Let's get this right. We do not want to be taking doing like you said, yeah. take one step forward but two steps back. They want to take this slow, deliberately, hopefully be done within two or three years and back into that build, build, build mode. But this is a good message if you're Doug Armstrong because you don't feel necessarily – you definitely feel pressure still, but it's not like pressure of like, oh, my gosh, I got to get to the playoffs. We got to go all out for this year just to be a playoff team. No, you can take your time and build this the right way. That's what teams like Toronto and Edmonton are doing. And I know they just fired their GM and then brought in a new one, but like those, that's what those teams are doing. Like, hey, we have to win right now because otherwise this is going to fall apart real quick. And Doug Armstrong, and I know a lot of people ask, like, when does he get on the hot seat? He gets on the hot seat when you fire a coach and the problems still persist. That's when an ownership says, okay, we might need to change the scenery. I just don't see that happening right now. And to the to the Craig Berube conversation, and this was the piece on the Athletic that had him ranked what was it four to one odds that he was the first coach fired in the NHL. I agree that that if it doesn't go well, that's what people are going to be talking about. The only way, in my opinion, that Craig Berube gets fired if, if he, is if he loses the locker room. And when you lose the locker room, and the Athletic pointed it out, it's when your players, the top players, aren't listening to the coach. When there's more of the barking at each other on the bench and it carries off of the ice and those issues persist, that's when the conversation can be had. But Barubi has talked about it in preseason about how he thinks all of both of these guys want to learn. And that's why he's he's hard on them. And both Kyrou and Thomas said they appreciate the openness of Craig Barubi. I don't think that's a problem. Now, if you go into another 11 game losing streak and these guys look awful out there, then maybe it becomes a problem. But that's the only scenario he gets fired. If if Kyrou and Thomas are, are producing and the team is still bad. If you're Doug, you can't fire him because it's not a situation that Craig Bruby can handle. It's, hey, we expected the team to make a turnaround and they didn't. Now it's roster construction we've got to figure out. Yeah, I I wouldn't say coming into the year that like Bruby's seat is cold and there's no chance he gets fired because I do think his seat has warmed after last year. But I don't think he should be viewed as the odds-on favorite to be the first coach no. fired. I, I think where he's being evaluated, and, and you just said this, and I, I think you're right, I don't think it's wins and losses. I don't think it is, you know, if we miss the playoffs, we got to find a new head coach. I, I think there are two things that are really going to be the defining moment for Craig Bruby this year. It is, one, what was both him and Mike Weber, his hire, able to get out of this defensive core that we have locked under contract and are, we're kind of stuck with for the time being. And then two, also Kyron Thomas. Do those guys take the next step? And, and I think like kind of a third piece of that might be like, what do you get out of Jake Neighbors? How can you develop Jake Neighbors? How do you develop a Scott Prunovich and Tyler Tucker? Those guys are kind of more young pieces there. But I think Kyron and Thomas in the defense are the things that are going to determine his fate. If Kyron and Thomas are able to take that next step, improve on their two-way game, and also maintain that good offensive ability that they have, 
I, I agree with you. I, even if the team ends up missing the playoffs, that's not on Craig Berube. He actually was able to pull more out of Kyrou and Thomas than what maybe you were expecting coming in the year or the hope was coming into the year. That's the thing that will determine him. As we saw, and, and there hasn't been any reporting that says like those two are butting heads. No, but you saw you saw last year, and, and it was kind of a it was telling where Berube was barking at Kyrou while they were on the bench. They were yelling at each other back and forth. If they can't figure this out, and Kyrou and Thomas don't take that next step. Who's the guy that they're going to point to? Kyra's got the long. Kyra and Thomas have the long-term contracts. Coach always goes. Coach always goes. Coach always goes because you bring somebody in that can identify more with a younger group of players that you try and shift that into. And when that happens, that's when the Doug Armstrong conversations take place. But for right now, Tom Stillman has made it very clear. The understanding is it's a retool, and it might take a couple of years. Doug Armstrong has done this before, and he can do it again. So he's got the ownership approval, which means Craig Berube's got the president of hockey operations approval but it does rely on those two players and i know we talked about them yesterday in terms of the line carrying this team through the retool but t-bone came up with an interesting comp in terms of what Cairo can get to and what it means for the organization if it happens we'll get to that next here on 101 espm we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn So look, we, we could talk about Jordan Cairo at nauseum of talking about how he and Robert Thomas are the key to a successful season, and that line has to put up a lot of points. But Tanner brought up an interesting comp for a Jordan Cairo in terms of from one season to another. And frankly, if this happens, which I can see a path for it, this is how you go from a super or from a player to a superstar player, which answers the question. So, T-Bone, tell them about the uh, the player comp that you came up with. Yeah, so, you know, we, we've talked about it. You know, Kyrie has to take his game to the next level. And usually when we say that, we're talking defense. Can he become more of a two-way player for St. Louis? I, I still think there's more to be kind of untapped from him offensively because, I, remember, I had the, the comment, I think the first year I was doing this with you guys, of I think he can be better than Vladdy was in his prime. And I, I still believe that. And when I look at his numbers, I was looking at the stars. You know, I was trying to find an angle and we're coming up with a show plan of, you know, what what's something we could talk about that kind of ties the Blues and the stars together. And I couldn't help but think, you know, can he have a breakout offense or take his offense to another level like Jason Robertson did? I, I looked this up last night. In, in 21-22, at 22 years old, Robertson in 74 games had 41 goals, 38 assists, and had 79 points. Kind of going to Kyrie's season last year, 24 years old, maybe he gets that extra step a couple years later than Robertson. But Kyrie last year in 79 games, 37 goals, 36 assists, and 73 points. So six fewer points and four fewer goals. Last year, Robertson was a guy that broke out and hit the main stage and took off running with, in 82 games, 46 goals, 63 assists, and 109 points. Is it possible Cairo can take his offense to that level? And the reason I ask the question is because as much as we talk about him needing to improve defensively, be a guy that's going to come back and help defensively, I, I'm not sure he's ever going to be. He's never going to be a Selkie guy. No, he's not. Your best hope is that he becomes an average defender and just gets rid of the lapses while also taking this game to the next offensive level. And if you've got a guy like that, if Kyrou can put up numbers like Robertson did last year, get to that 100-point plateau, 
I think the Blues can be a playoff team with that line because that means not only did Cairo break out and put up 100 points, it means Thomas and Buchnevich had really good years as well. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a 30-point difference between Jason Robertson and Jordan Cairo last season, and those 30 points are talking about more assists. I mean, he had 36 assists compared to 63 assists for, for Jason Robertson, and you know, first glance, you look at it and you're like, yeah, I mean, one for me would be Cairo shoots the puck a lot more. I mean, Jason Robertson had 313 shots and played an average of 18 minutes and 50 seconds where Cairo was at like 18 minutes. That means more responsibility on the ice. But Jordan Cairo is so tied in to Robert Thomas. If this line wants to have that type of success, Cairo can be that player, but the way he's that player is that he's not the only one scoring goals on that line. If you look at what Rope Hints did with that line last season, he had 37 goals and picked up 75 points. So the the 63 assists that Jason Robertson put up that season was because his line mates were scoring goals. And this goes back to what we talked about, T-Bone. If Robert Thomas is going to shoot the puck more every season, or every game, I should say, then we're talking about 30 goals for him. And if we're talking 30 goals for him, we're talking 60 assists for Jordan Cairo. So that's how you get to that 100 point. It's so it's so odd because like when you talk about Connor McDavid, you know he's putting up 100 points. It doesn't matter who he's playing with. Nathan McKinnon, it doesn't matter who he's playing with. Uh, we were talking in the office earlier today. Matt Rocchio asked, is Jonathan Druin going to be back to being a superstar player? And I said, yeah, probably because he's playing with a superstar player in, in Nathan McKinnon. You know what McKinnon's offering. Cairo and Thomas are like bread and butter. You've got to have one if you're going to go the other route with this. And frankly, I'll throw Pavel Buchnevich into this. Because if Buch doesn't stay healthy, then you're not picking up the points from him. So absolutely, Jason Robertson and Jordan Cairo are the same type of player. It's going to come down to can Robert Thomas be Rope Hints. Yeah, and that that is going to be the one that will be interesting. Hints last year had 75 points, 37 goals, 38 assists. I think more likely you're going to see more assists from Thomas than that. Probably. Uh, he's more of the more of a playmaker than he is going to be the goal scorer, even if he shoots the puck more. But, but like you you look at that line and we talked about this, I don't remember if it was yesterday or earlier in the week, where that Buchnevich, Thomas, and Cairo line can be a line that is one of the best in the NHL. I I truly believe that. Yeah. And if you have a dominant line like that, Greg Rosinski said it, you can have one elite line that can help propel you to being in the conversation of being in a playoff spot. And that's what that's all you ask for if you're the St. Louis Blues. And I know we've we've received text, well, if Kyra's going to focus more on his defensive game, then he's going to lose some offensively. I don't necessarily know if that's true. true. I, I, think, I think when we talk about him focusing more on defense, I think what we mostly mean by that is you just can't have the lapses. It's not giving up on the play is what exactly. they're talking about. It's not watching the puck go down the other side and you standing in the offensive zone cherry picking. That's what they're talking about. And look, to the, to the Texter's point, T-Bone, Jason Robertson got Selkie trophy votes last year. And Jason Robertson also scored 40 goals and had 100 points. So you don't have to be – you don't have to, like, lose 20 points if you become a defensive player – because the only way this team's going to have success is if they have offense. And you need Kairou to be that offensive weapon for them. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think when you're talking about this line, we said this yesterday. Can they be great at one thing? And what is the thing that they're most likely going to be great at? It's offense. Yep. I, I know we want them to be a shutdown line. 
you may almost have to kind of push away from that and mix and match everything when it gets into the season because they're going to have to be a line that's going to dominate offensively. And if they're going to put up points, I, I couldn't help but kind of just dream about the possibility of Kyrou putting up Jason Robertson num- numbers because that's the superstar. That's the superstar that we talk about that you are missing. You know how fast we don't even talk about his defense if he's putting up 100 points? You don't bleep and care about defense if you're putting up 100 points. The reason we talked so much about it last year was because he wasn't scoring goals at nauseum like it was in streaks. He wasn't picking up points, and the team was losing because they were giving up so many goals. If he's scoring 100 points, you don't care about his defensive side of the game. Frankly, that falls on his line mates just as much as it falls on Cairo. Here's the, here's the other point of this, too, where he's putting up these points. you got to be good on the power play. And this is why I'm so excited about it. Jason Robertson had 43 points on the power play last season. His line, by the way, I just looked at this. He played with Joe Pavelski, and Pavelski put up 28 goals and 49 assists. And he also had Miro Haskinen out there with him, who had 62 assists. It's not just Kyrou. Kyrou is not putting up 100-plus points by himself. Kyrou puts up 100 points. We're talking about offense like the Dallas Stars offense, and this is how the Blues put themselves on the map. Now, let's... Let's travel down this path together that Kairu and Thomas become these players. And you're starting to look at this offense and saying, hot damn, we've got something here. Do you have to sign Buchnevich then? Because there is zero scenario, in my opinion, that if this line becomes one of the hottest lines in hockey that Greg Wyshynski talked about, and frankly, Jeff Merrick also said it, and we're going to talk to Jeff Merrick of the 32 Thoughts podcast tomorrow. You pretty much have to go to Buchnevich and say, what do you want? Because if your line hits that success, you can't have a repeat of David Perron and say, well, we couldn't afford him, so we got to let him walk, but these lines will, will do because then you get Josh Levo trying to make it work with a line that's not going to work. So, I mean, if you're Doug Armstrong, you're probably looking at this line saying, okay, if the success is there, guess what? Pavel Buchnevich is officially going to have to be re-signed. Yeah, and I, I think they're probably on the idea already that they have to bring back Pavel Buchnevich because he is I, Thomas and Cairo. I think I said this earlier in the year. Thomas and Cairo cannot play together if Buchnevich is not on that line. And the reason I say this is because he's such a great two-way forward. He is a good defensive minded player that can help out that group. And you hope Thomas maybe steps up a little bit and becomes more of that too. And then you can kind of allow Cairo to be the drifter. But yeah, I mean, if this line ends up being one of the best in the NHL, you can't let it just fall apart. And again, like that's a conversation for in the offseason. Of course. Because he can't even sign it. He's not even eligible to yeah. sign a contract extension yet. But it is definitely something to where if you see them put up points, it, it needs to be the conversation of, okay, we typically don't like to go sign a guy to a contract extension that once we start getting into his mid to late 30s on a deal. But hey, man, we put up these kind of numbers. We, we've definitely got to be able to, we've got to lock him up so we have this top line because then you could potentially, I don't know how long his deal would be, but just say it is five years, you know what your top line is for the next five years. And that is something that the Blues, I don't know the last time that they were able to say that for that sustained amount of time. This is the kind of scenario. And again, if it happens, that you would have to then bring back Pavel Buchnevich. Uh, ben Hockman, uh, the Post-Dispatch, uh, is listening, and he just texted me, and he said, Pavelski gets to the front of the net. I'm preaching to the choir here, but as you know, Blue's top line needs to get to the front of the net more and score more dirty goals. He's absolutely correct. I just looked this up, moneypuck.com. Rebounds created last year. 30 rebounds were created by Jason Robertson. Joe Pavelski created 29 of them. And we just talked about that line producing like 73 goals. If you're not going to go to the front of the net, 
then none of this matters. And this is what Craig Bruby's been preaching. You can't make it work from the outside. Frankly, when I look at the construction of this line, Thomas is the playmaker. Kairou's the goal scorer. Buchnevich is going to have to be that net front presence. And until you buy into that system, that line won't work. If you play to the outside, you're going to be to the outside and you're not scoring goals, especially on some of these goaltenders and defenses around the National Hockey League. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Bradford Bruns as well. We'll rewind it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. here on BK and Ferrario. If you missed anything from our conversations today, a lot of good ones, and we talked with Matt Larkin and Chris Kerber, you can check it all out up on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, which is presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And if you missed anything from our live YouTube channel, you can go back and rewatch the entirety of our show at 101ESPN STL, our studio cams presented by Air Alliance Team. Let's rewind it with what Doug Armstrong said earlier today uh, and what we discussed at the top of the show. The expectations for this upcoming season, and I break them up into two segments here, T-Bone. The expectations for this retool is to make the playoffs. And Doug views it easier to make the playoffs by getting into third place than getting into a wild card. And frankly, I can understand it because there are going to be five teams in the Pacific division that make the playoffs. Uh, At least that's what I'm looking at. And there's probably only going to be the three. It's going to be first, second, and third place. So that's going to be where you're attempting to get. But the other part of this evaluation is really going to fall down to is the, does the team look like they're ready to start winning? Because as Doug pointed out, if you fall apart in crucial situations or if you can't withstand the mental need to make it through tough times well then Doug might have to reevaluate the core that's going into this new era of blues hockey yeah I I found his comments fascinating today both on the fact that he thinks that if they're gonna make the playoffs they got to be the third best team in the central because I think that's a tough hill to climb because I I do view or uh Minnesota a step ahead of them right now but if that's what the goal is that's what the goal is set by the front office and by ownership um I I do think you're right though like they the one thing that they dealt with that was an issue last year was the fact that when things would go wrong it was just a snowball effect and I don't just mean on the schedule I mean within games they they could give up one critical goal and there was no like okay here we go let's bounce back we got to turn the tide of this game it was just the snowball built and it built into not just a loss an ugly loss and then it built into one ugly loss to multiple ugly losses to instead of a two or three game losing streak you've lost eight in a row and they would go through the highs and lows of a season it's clear that the Blues want to see that there is a different attitude to the team this year, and I and I don't just mean like um, con, con, just compete level. I think they want to see all sorts of different things. They want to see leadership take a step forward this year from some of the younger guys like Cairo and Thomas, especially guys that they're putting into those leadership roles. And, and Thomas, first year, he's going to have an A on his chest. Um, and, and then also too, just the making sure that things don't go as haywire as they did last year. And I don't think he said it today, but I know he said it before seeing that this kind of competitiveness that they're hoping to see from the team doesn't just translate in games, but translates in practice too. Yeah. I remember hearing army say, I can't remember if it was at the end of the season or it was after at the, sold, the end of the season presser, he did where he felt practices had kind of 
taken like almost more lackadaisical last year. Talked about missing shots and players being okay with missing shots. And, and I think that is one thing that he wants to see this year. Their 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 goal for the year is be a playoff team. But the broader view and what they're hoping to take away in this kind of retool in year number one of this is seeing more competitiveness, seeing a better attitude across the team, and just making sure that they are doing the right things both on the ice in games and off the ice away from the rink. Yeah, and on the defensive side of it, like Doug even said it today, you have to understand that the defense is not just six players that play on the blue line. It's the five guys that are on the ice. It's also the forwards, and if the defense struggles, it's just as much on them as it's on the guys in their own zone that are the defensive players for the Blues. But I I do think with what Doug was projecting – you look at the core of what they're wanting to carry into the new era of blues hockey. Cause that's what, that's what Bru, um, Doug Armstrong has labeled this as it's a new era for us. It's the guys that are locked up. It's the Kairos. It's the Thomases. It's most likely the Buchnevichs. It's some of these younger core pieces like the Bulldukes and Deans. And I know they're at the, not at the NHL level, but they want to see that drive in the American league. It's the Jake neighbors. It's the Colton Parecos. It's the Justin Falks. It's those guys that they're judging this that they're judging this attitude towards because if that attitude's not right, well then you can't build around those guys. Like that's why we've seen the Minnesota Wild take the step further. Now again, I know they're in Cap Hell, but they've they've leaned into what they're trying to pursue. That's why what they're doing in Buffalo right now is locking these players up because they've officially found the attitude of the core of their players. And it's putting the right pieces in place around it. If your core doesn't have that attitude that says, hey, we're in a two-game losing streak. Let's get out of this rather than, oh, man, the the goal just went in. Now we're not going to be able to stop it. It's going to be a three-game losing streak. If that core's there, you've got to change the core before you can change the team around it. Yeah, 100%. It, it starts with that that main idea of the core having that competitiveness to them and showing the right attitude to get into a game first. Because you're, you're right, it, if they... If they are like last year's team, then there's going to be issues that are going to be arisen. And it is going to be more, and I don't mean just on the ice, I mean off the ice too, where there was a lot of question marks that were brought up at the end of the season. If that's if that's the issue again this year, they're going to have to change the core. And then that's mm-hmm. when we get back into that conversation of it going from a retool to a rebuild. Yeah, the good news, though, I guess, if you go down that path is the cap's going up significantly over the next couple of years. Maybe you've got players that do want to be traded if the team's not competitive and it's going into that rebuild. The bad news is you're in for a little bit longer than projected, and that's when the question starts to get of seats heating up around Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong. I'll tell you, though, I'm fascinated to see what this season holds. It's tomorrow night against the Dallas Stars with the 7 o'clock puck drop, and frankly, this is a hell of a test to start the season off. Like, I know Nashville went up up against Tampa Bay last night Chicago gets the victory against Pittsburgh but you know those are those are east versus west games that aren't as impactful you start the season with a central division matchup against a team that more than likely is going to be number one if you want a taste of what defense is going to look like welcome to tomorrow night to find out if your defensive scheme actually is in place for what they're talking about preseason doesn't matter regular season's important yeah and it'll be fun to see tomorrow night because that is a good team it is there is no cupcake to start the year and like you said division rival too. uh chicago like you said they get they started the year with pittsburgh (laughs) poor chicago they got to go back to back right off the bat poor pittsburgh you start uh, against a team that's expected to be drafting in the top five once again you lose when you go all out in the in the offseason and bring in eric carlson and all of these guys yeah by the way speaking of that because that was like the worst case scenario that pittsburgh could have had last night and look i get it's game one. I don't want to oversay like the season's over. 
Worst case scenario for the Blues tomorrow night is a game in which the defense plays poorly and they yeah. get just shellacked. Or Bennington I, I, looks bad. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to happen. I actually think that's going to be a pretty close game and oh, it's going to be a telling game. But that would be the worst case scenario for the Blues after yeah. tomorrow night's game. Yeah, imagine getting beat by Chicago and Connor Bedard only having one point. That's that's what happened against Pittsburgh, and that $11 million that's due towards Eric Carlson. It's all fine. T-Bone and I will be back tomorrow. BK will be with us. Big appreciation to Bradford Bruns, who stepped in for us today and is pulling double duty. So he'll be uh, in action later on tonight when you'll hear Diamondbacks and Dodgers for Game 3. But the fast lane is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.